get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Yeah, no one will be in there, um, and he's excited about the opportunity. We spoke the other day and kind of said his first week or so of games. So, yeah, he'll be in there on Sunday. He's been fantastic. Everything is advertised. You know, clearly uh, um, a lot of different skill sets that are elite, um, but he's also gone about it, fit right in, and just really enjoyed him being in and around with him and, and working with him. He's been a real pleasure. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Mike Schilt earlier today. Excited to see Nolan Arenado and the birds on a bat. I am curious for you guys. What is the thing that you are most excited about going into this spring training game? Because this is the first time that we have seen this collection of Cardinals players. Spring training begins on Sunday officially, at least in terms of the games. They will be playing against the Nationals at Roger Dean Stadium. It is a 12 o'clock first pitch. Alex, the number one thing, not lineup related. We'll get to that coming up here in just a minute. The number one thing that you are looking for forward to watching for the Cardinals in this first game is what? Nolan Arenado. I mean, it has to be. You know, part of me is excited about the fact that we get to see a normal spring training with a normal amount of games and have people in the stadium, which seems like forever since we've had that. But that doesn't even compare to Nolan Arenado. I mean, you're watching a future Hall of Fame player. You're watching a spot that has been a problem for the Cardinals in the past five, six, ten years, if you want to go that far. You're now watching a position that is filled and filled with somebody who is going to change the outcome of this team's season. So it has to be Nolan Arenado for me when it comes to plus. I mean, I'm Mr. 95%. Why wouldn't I be excited about it? Honestly, I would have been mad at you if you didn't say Nolan Arenado. I mean, I'm Mr. 100% now. (laughs) Why wouldn't I be? For the last two years, he has been coming on this radio station saying the Cardinals will acquire, not might, not could, not should, will acquire Nolan Arenado. So the fact that you're going with him makes a lot of sense. Tanner, who are you going with? What are you going with? The number one thing you're most excited to see from the Cardinals in their first spring training game is what? So if I could pick one player, it would be Arenado. The one thing I'm really excited to see is just how good that infield defense is as a whole. I mean, we talked about it all offseason once they acquired Arenado. That left side is going to be great with Arnado and DeYoung. I want to see Edmund at second, and I want to see the Gold Glover Goldie at first. So I'm really excited to see what that infield looks like defensively come Sunday. I think you could even expand that to the entire roster in terms of the defense. Like Yadier Molina behind the plate. Your outfield defense this year could legitimately be the best in all of baseball. Mike Schilt was talking about that earlier today, about how he's excited. You know, Harrison Bader in center can win gold gloves. In left, you've got a guy that has already won a gold glove in Tyler O'Neill. And you could have somebody that profiles as at least being a candidate to win a gold glove in Dylan Carlson. 
This might be the best defensive team in all of baseball. That is not outlandish. How many gold gloves do you think is realistic to think this team could win this season? Because this season, I have four. Realistically, they could win. So Yachty could, based on name recognition alone. I mean, he he could absolutely do it if he has a little bit of a resurgence. It's going to be tough, but he could do mm-hmm. it. Goldie definitely could. DeYoung's going to be tough with Lindor now in the National League. But, I mean, he, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Nolan Arenado is the favorite. Tyler O'Neill could. I think Harrison Bader. And Harrison Bader, I, I think, think he's has win to be it. one of the favorites. I think he's going to win it. So I think you could have up to six, but realistically, realistically, probably four. And then, honestly, Carlson, you have a legitimate shot at some point. I don't know if it's this season, but in the next couple of years, he could be a gold sure. glove winner. And from what everyone tells us, Tommy Edman is a really good defender at second base. I mean, you legitimately could have an argument for a gold glove candidate on every position off our defensively for this team. And let's not forget the pitchers. Could, Wainwright's won a gold glove in the past, too, and Jack I believe. Flirty's fantastic. Yeah, yes. Did you see that PSP the other day? Those guys are impressive. I, I think there could be realistically five. I would say Yachty, Goldie, uh, Arnato, Bader, and then I would throw one of the pitchers into that mix. So I'll say five. That's in, that's insane. For me, the number one thing that I'm looking forward to, and I just invoked his name, it's Jack Flaherty. I want to see Jack Flaherty back on the mound, looking like himself again, because guys, I think sometimes we forget. Let's go back to a year, this time a year ago. I remember uh, Mike Ryder put together the list of, hey, I want you guys to give out your season awards, your pre predictions for the season awards. We have like 10 people that are on air in any capacity. And I think eight of us picked Jack Flaherty to win in El Cy Young. That was a year ago. That wasn't that far removed from where we are today. He started, what, five games since then? Jack Flaherty is still one of the best young starters in all of baseball. And I'm th- I can't wait to see what he's going to be able to do in spring training, especially now that he is like refreshed. He's been working on things all off season. And we know that dude of anybody on this team works his butt off. I can't wait to see Jack Flaherty again. I'm, I can't wait to see if he, if he gets that attitude rolling this season, like, I, I, like to channel his inner, Bob Gibson, Chris Carpenter, right? Like just pissed off 24-7 on the mound and just dealing. That's what I want to see from Jack Flaherty this season. And frankly, I think we're going to see that from Jack Flaherty. So I said other than the lineup, what are you most interested in seeing? We'll get into the lineup now. Brad Thompson yesterday on the fast lane said something really interesting. And it's something that we've talked a bit about. What about Dylan Carlson as a leadoff hitter for the Cardinals? Still look at this lineup right now. I say Tommy Edmond. I say Dylan Carlson. Then I go Goldie and Arenado. That would be the way that I would roll out the four. Who knows how they end up being rolled out. But I like what he's talking about there. I like what he's talking about. The, the one that honestly strikes you again, right, thinking about somebody that kind of grew up in this game. But remember, he's a young player that's only got a handful of games under his belt. As he talked about that job, part of that job being a leadoff hitter is relaying information. That's something that like, you'd think a veteran player would think about. And, you know, He hit on the on-base percentage of guys seeing pitches, but he talked about helping his teammates already. I, don't know, I just feel like this kid's got a veteran approach already. He's going to have to prove it. He's, gonna, he's got a, a tall bar to jump over, but I think the skill set's there for him. I'm still not in on Carlson being the opening day leadoff hitter. I would like to see him start out the year batting second for this lineup. I've put together what I would like to see in the first spring training game as kind of a um, dress rehearsal, if you will, for opening day. Are you ready for this, Alex? With it. Tommy Edmond, batting oh, leadoff for I, your I card. it was going to be Bader, frankly, T-Bone. 
Well, if it was a lefty on the mound, you better believe it. I thought it was going to have Bader up there. I wouldn't have been shocked either. Tommy Edmond batting leadoff. Dylan Carlson second. We've got Goldie and Arenado 3-4. And then we go Paul DeYoung, Tyler O'Neill. And I'm still deciding on this, but because Yachty's the veteran, I'll go uh, Yachty 7th. Bader eighth in the pitcher batting ninth. Because Yachty's a veteran, because Yachty says so. That's, Yachty, that, that, he is hitting in that position. Yachty might bat six. Y- Yachty might bat fifth, frankly, if he tells Mike Schilt, this is where I'm hitting. People will laugh. It's Yachty <laughs> likes batting fifth. Yep. Um, <laughs> and Yachty <laughs> likes playing every day. So you know what tends to happen? Yachty bats fifth and he plays every Yachty's day. Yachty's going to walk into that locker room and see it at spring training and say, uh, Mike? My name's next to a seven. <laughs> it has been next to a seven since 2001. Can we fix this, please? I like your lineup, BK. The only thing I'm changing is Harrison Bader is hitting ninth for me. I, I could see that. Yeah, I, I got I'm no with issues you. with that. I'm going, I'm going pitcher eighth and I'm going Bader ninth because I want back-to-back speed in my nine and leadoff spot with Harrison Bader and Tommy Edmond because if Bader can get on base, if Bader's going to improve, like your Eno Saris numbers that you gave us yesterday, right? Ooh, Woo-hoo! that barrel rate, BK, ladies and gentlemen. If he gets on base, I mean, you have legitimate two guys that with a single can score two runs for you. And for anybody that uh, doesn't listen to the show at all times. What are you doing, first of all? The Eno Saris numbers that Alex is referencing is this. Uh, basically, Eno Saris of The Athletic said above average barrel rates return, turned into excellent ones last year. Harrison Bader was excellent with his barrel rate last year. He could hit 250 with 25 homers and 15 stolen bases, and that wouldn't be all that far from his projections, end quote. Again, that came from Eno Saris of The Athletic saying 250, 15 homers, 15 stolen bases. Not crazy for Harrison Bader. By the way, like that projection. Yachty just took Ponce de Leon deep in live BP practice. So, ladies and gentlemen, your cleanup hitter, Yachty (laughs) or Molina. I'm with you, Alex. I want to see Bader nine. I'm curious, you guys. I want your guys' opinion on this. First game of spring training, we're more than likely going to see a DH, especially early in spring. I don't know that that's true. I think we won't see DH in early in spring training. I think we're beyond the DH now. I really I was think listening. we're past it. Jack Flaherty was on with your guy, Mike Claiborne, the other yeah. day, and he, he talks with him about the hitting side of things for pitchers, and he said they need some opportunities to be able to hit early in spring training because if they don't, these guys haven't seen live pitching as hitters in a year, like a literal calendar year now. So I think we're going to see those guys pitching. Okay, so who's someone – then Then I'll change the direction of my question here. Who's someone that you're – Intrigued to see possibly come off the bench on Sunday and get a chance to see play. Mine's Sosa. I want to see Sosa get some time at shortstop come Sunday. And I know there's a long spring training, but I really want to see him at short this Sunday. Is there anybody else for you guys? Mine's Justin Williams. I I want to see him get multiple opportunities at the plate and in the outfield because there's two areas I want to know. What's this guy's power and what's his defense? Because if your defense can't compare to Lane Thomas, Bader, O'Neal, and Carlson, I don't think you're going to be seeing a lot of play time. Uh, Lane Thomas is my guy. I would love to see where he's at right now because the last time that we saw him, he was not himself. And he has said as much since then. He's talked about how COVID really messed with him. Uh, Lane Thomas would 100% be the bench bat that I would like to see. Here's a question for you guys getting back to the lineup. If there is a surprise in the lineup construction on Sunday, what do you think it would be? Now, obviously, by being a surprise, it's going to be difficult to predict what that will be. But... If there's a surprise, what do you think it is? Goldschmidt hitting in the two spot. 
Because I think Goldie 2, Arenado 3. Goldie 2, Arenado 3, and then Paul DeYoung 4. Because I think there is that that mentality by a lot of managers. Now, I don't know if this is Mike Schilt. Now, he did tell us when he was on last week that he could see kind of anything. But the mentality from most managers is to put your best pure hitter in that two spot. Yeah. Now, that could be Dylan Carlson, but right now it's Paul Goldschmidt. I think if you're leading off with Tommy Edmond and then Paul Goldschmidt hitting in the two spot with Arenado in the three hole, Goldschmidt is going to see some favorable pitches. So that would be a surprise to me because it makes the most sense to go three, four, but Goldie in the two spot would surprise me. That's kind of my surprise too, would be that Goldie is two, but I'm not going to say Arenado three. What I'm going to say is Carlson is the three hitter and then they're going to have Arenado behind him at four and then you would have just sandwich him in between two yeah, good hitters. Yeah, sandwich between two hitters, then you can keep DeYoung at five, O'Neal six, and then so on like and so that. forth. That's kind of That would be my surprise on Sunday. My surprise would be Carlson batting leadoff, and then we'd go two, three with your guys. Uh, Goldie, Arenado, you'd see DeYoung fourth, and then in the middle of that order, I think that's where you go back to that switch hitter with Tommy Edmond. I, I think you could see something like that. Maybe you see Tyler O'Neal five, Edmond six. So then you, you move around those switch hitters, so you've got Carlson at the top, Tommy Edmond batting sixth, so you've got a little bit more flexibility in the middle of your order. I think that would be, if there is a surprise, I think that's it. I don't know how much of a surprise that would be, but I think that would be the way that I would go. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 11:14. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. One bit of positive news, or I guess good news rather, to pass along. Bill Shaken of the LA Times just tweeted this out, and it's interesting to me. Major League Baseball tested 900 players and staffers who reported to spring training this week. Only three players tested positive for COVID-19. So that is a 0.1% positivity rate. That is very, very good news. So hopefully things stay in that direction. I know as a country, things are heading in in the right direction. Fingers crossed that it stays that way and we can get this season going without too many stops and goes. Coming up next... Speaking of stops and goes, the Blues power play, boys. This is going to be the key. Alex has said it. Joey Vitale has said it. Chris Kerber said it. How do they get this thing going? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Yes, you don't have the personnel to run four lines and six defensemen, but you do still have the personnel for a power play. You still have O'Reilly. You still have Krug. You got Falk. You got Dunn. You got Shank. You got you got all the pieces. You got David Cron shot, right? So those are the pieces that the power play has. You're not missing any of those guys. So special teams can play a really important role here, I think, in the next three weeks where you know you're going to get the save. And when you draw penalties, if you can get your motor going with Nathan Walker, Mackenzie McEachern, you can draw some penalties by moving your feet. And when that power play has the time and the advantage to go out there and make a make a stand and get some points, they got to go out there and they got to do that. That was Joey Vitale with Carriker and Smallman earlier today. The Blues are 0 for 10 on the power play in their last four losses. It's been the issue. Right now at 5 on 5, we know they just don't have the personnel to be able to keep up, in particular against the top teams in the division. But right now even against some of the lesser teams in the division. So Alex Ferrario, our Blues pre-post and intermission host, what's going on with the power play and how does this thing get fixed? Because it needs to. 
Well, first thing they do is they switch up the personnel, and they've done that already. They've moved Krug back up to that top unit. They've kind of moved some bodies around. The only way that this power play is going to work is is to outwork the penalty kill. The problem that the Blues have run into in these last four losses where they're 0 for 10 is they're taking an awful lot of shots on the outside, and they're not getting anybody in front of the net. They're not getting anything to the inside of the rink, which is right between those face-off dots right in front of the goaltender. And for this power play to work, you got to have a couple of things. You got to have a a body right in front of that goaltender to either get some deflections or just create some 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 eyes directed towards that player, meaning the two defensemen are watching him, which opens up those shots. But the other thing is quick shots and hitting the net. That's been the issue at least these last two losses to the Kings BK. The Blues have been either trying to pass the puck into the middle of the ice, which is getting stopped immediately and dropped back down, and then basically you're wasting 30 seconds of ice time. But when they take their shots, it's missing the neck completely, and it's rimming around the board, and again, you're having to reset. So right now, at least on the power play, there has to be fast decisions and precise shots for Craig Berube to get more offense from that power play, and the problem is they're just not getting it right now. Throw everything at the net. Just stop taking forever. Get it. Okay, let's start here, actually. Reverse. Take two. First of all, get it through the neutral zone without getting a pass that is six feet too wide and you end up getting it taken away by the defender. You're giving it away and it goes back into your own zone and you have to reset. And now we're 40 seconds into the power play before you've set anything up. Right. That's first. Second of all, start throwing everything at the net. Stop looking for the perfect shot, except a good one. Mm -hmm. And that is something that in a normal scenario, I would not be saying about the Blues power play. They're really good at finding the best shot. But right now, given where you're at with your personnel, you can't do that anymore. You can't be looking for the perfect shot. Don't allow good to be the enemy of great. Just take the good shot. When you've got David Perron on one side for the one-timer, go for it. If you've got Mike Hoffman on the other side, go for it. Take those shots that are available to you at any given time. And like you said, hopefully that creates some rebound opportunities. Now you're getting it right in front of the net. And if worst case scenario happens and the goalie puts his puts his glove over it, now you've got an offensive zone face off and you know Ryan O'Reilly's going to win those. He's been tremendous on the dot so far this season. It sets you up for yet another good opportunity in the Ozone. For the most we are for the, for the times that we say that they don't have the personnel. They don't have the personnel at 5 on 5, but basically their power play is intact. You don't have Schwartz, you don't have Tarasenko, but their power play is still intact. So these guys should be able to create that opportunity. I think what's happening is these guys are putting so much pressure on the power plate to fix their problems because they know that five on five isn't working right now. It's the mindset from Craig Berube has always been quality over quantity when terms of shots, meaning find those quality shots. Now it needs to be quantity over quality. You're right. Don't let good ruin great right now for the blues. They're still at the top 10 of the league in terms of shots on goal. Now, that's overall this season, and recently they've dropped off a little bit, but no more on this power play needs to be holding on to the puck. No more does the face-off win go up to the blue line and hold on to it and, and puck handle for a couple of seconds to find that right pass. It needs to be three quick passes and a shot on net to make the goaltender move around. you got to make the goalie go post-to-post post here because if you're just going to let the goaltender stay stationary like Jonathan Quick and Calvin Peterson did in the Kings game, 
Well, then those shots are going right into their guts, and it's either going to be swallowed up and frozen for a whistle, or the defense is going to take it and clear it down the ice. It needs to be quick shots off of pads so that you can create secondary opportunities and not these one-and-done empty possessions. So I'm looking right now at the Blues' power play in their last five games. I'll go through this real quickly because I find it to be interesting because this is kind of speaking to what we're talking about here. The Blues in their last game had five minutes of five-on-four power play opportunity. They took a total in those five minutes of four shots. That's not terrible. That's getting closer to where you should be. Zero goals on the power play in that one at five on four. The previous game, two minutes on the power play, one shot. One shot on goal in those two minutes on the power play. That can't happen. The game before that, six minutes of power play opportunity, five on four. Again, one shot, one shot on goal in six minutes of five on four power plays. Going back four games ago, five minutes, you had five shots. You did score one goal on five on four power play. And then five games ago, you had three minutes on the power play, two shots on goal. It's got to be better than that. You've got to start throwing pucks at the net and they might not be the greatest goal scoring opportunities. It's not going to be. I always talk about the nerdy high danger scoring chances. They're not going to get many of those by shooting from the outside. But maybe you can create one from that. Maybe you get one of those. Braden Shin is at the net. He's swiping at the puck and suddenly it sneaks through going five hole. We've seen that against the Blues. It has happened in this series against the Kings. We need to see that for the Blues now because they need to start getting some of those those good luck goals, that puck luck that we talk so much about. It's got to start going the Blues way because without the personnel that they have right now, you got to find other ways to score. And this is probably number one on that list. Have have both of you seen the movie Glory Road? I have. Okay, so I know it's basketball. Of course, T-Bone hasn't seen it because it was probably made before his time. Great movie. Uh, It's it's basketball, but I I take a quote from that and I kind of put it into this blue situation. When they, when the, when the team was trying to play their coach's style and not playing their 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 street basketball style, it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of the game, they looked at the coach and said, Coach, let us be us, and we promise we will get this game on track. And then they started playing their own style, and they start winning games. I think that has to be the way for the power play. I think you're trying to jam all of these players into the system that you have played, whereas right now... You got Tory Krug, who was one of the more point production player on the power play in his time as a defenseman. You got Mike Hoffman, who is a shot monster when it comes to the power play. David Perron, Ryan O'Reilly. Let these guys be themselves. Don't worry about that perfect pass into the middle of the ice that David Perron wants to do. Don't worry if you're Mike Hoffman. You got to get the puck to Ryan O'Reilly because he's the captain. He's the one we got to let score those goals. That's not how this works right now. Everyone needs to have it. If you're not producing five to six shots on a power play with a full two minutes, you're doing something wrong. These guys need to play like themselves and stop playing into the system because the system is 28th in the National Hockey League right now. And if you're talking about five or six shots in a two-minute period, this team right now has 13 shot shot opportunities in their last 25 minutes on the power play. 13 in the last 25. That That's something that just cannot happen moving forward yeah. because if this team is going to get back on track, it's going to have to be via the power play. Coming up next, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2021 with number 16, a reliever that might not start out the season at the top of the list, but I think by the end of the year, he's going to meet, he's going to beat these expectations as the number 16 most important player. We'll tell you who it is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
In now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. Yeah, there's a 40-man roster, but we only care about 20. It's BK and Ferrario. Number 16, Jordan Hicks. 104 on the gun. Wow. Crowd is oohing and on, and, and even his teammates are saying, you got to be kidding me. We continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season with number 16, Jordan Hicks, my expected closer by the end of the year. Let's recap what we've done so far. Justin Williams was at number 20. Edmundo Sosa, number 19. Hinesis Cabrera was at number 18. And yesterday we talked about Lane Thomas, the 17th most important player for the 2021 season. If you missed our conversations about any of those players, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com or the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by I Promise. Let's get into Jordan Hicks here, guys. I'm assuming T-Bone doesn't have him on his list because he doesn't put anybody worthwhile on his That's list. That's not true. He's 17 on my oh, list. Okay, sorry. I think it... Edmundo Sosa. Jordan Hicks. <laughs> I was looking at Edmundo Sosa's name and I said, I said it out loud. I think Jordan Hicks is one of those guys that will start the season lower number 16 or so. I think by the end of the year, we are all going to be saying that guy is much higher on the list. I wonder compared to some of the starters, like the back end starters, right? Who do you think is going to be more important to this team this year? Carlos Martinez as your number five starter or Jordan Hicks as your closer because that's kind of where this argument starts to be interesting to me say that one more time so more important this year to the cardinals carlos martinez as a number five starter as an innings eater or jordan hicks as your closer i would say carlos as the number five starter just because you have guys that can spell jordan hicks as the closer if he's not up to par look you need that 104 mile an hour sinker you need that 101 mile an hour fastball from jordan hicks right now but if he's not up to what the Cardinals have, Gallegos can be that for you. Reyes can be that for you. If you don't have Carlos Martinez as a legitimate number five starter, then we go back to T-Bone's argument all offseason of this team needs more pitching depth. Because I think if it's not Carlos, we've been told it's not Reyes. Then it comes down to Ponce and, or John Gant. And I don't know how we feel about that. So I would say Carlos is very important. Jordan Hicks He's going to be vital later in the season, but for right now, I think it's it's there. He's covered. See, I think it's the opposite. I think it's Hicks is more important because at five spot, I would feel confident in putting Ponce there or Gant there or Oviedo there or someone in the minors that's coming up like Libertor or Thompson, even though we haven't seen them yet. I think Hicks is very important for the bullpen because if he can come back to closer form, which I think will take about to the All Star break to get to that point then I think your bullpen is very elite because you have confidence in Hicks, who's going to throw probably 100 to 105, which is shut down stuff if he has command of his pitches. And then that bullpen just becomes deeper because you've got Gallegos at the, as your eighth inning man. You've got uh, Helsley in there. You've got Gant that could be a seventh inning shutdown man. And then Cabrera, if he's in your bullpen and but your even lefties. If, but even if Hicks isn't a closer, he's still going to make that bullpen deeper. If you don't have Carlos... Uh, you're you're struggling to find somebody to give you innings. He makes the bullpen deeper, but early in the season, he's going to be kind of a, uh, I, I don't know what to, how to phrase this, but he's going to be a guy that you're so cautious with where he maybe pitches one day and then he spends two days off. It's sure. almost like he's not there. 
if that makes sense. Like, you're going to be so cautious with him coming back from Tommy John. It'll feel like he's there when he's throwing 105, though. It will. That one day when he's throwing, oh, you're going to feel definitely. that. <laughs> that first one's going to be like, whoa, that's yeah. what we were missing. But until he's back up to where you feel confident of throwing him out there, maybe two days in a row, three days in a row, it's just going to be super cautious for the Cardinals where it's like Hicks throws a day, and then he's gone, and then you don't. Then you you're missing a bullpen piece, and then he throws a day, and then he's gone. If if that makes sense, sure, it makes all the sense in the world, and I think you're no, right on how they're going to utilize him early in the year. I don't think he's going to start the season as the closer. I think you're going to see other guys get opportunities. I think Gallegos will probably be my favorite for that job going into the season. I think Hicks is going to get a lot of opportunities in like the sixth or seventh inning. Lower leverage. Uh, you're not going to put as much stress on his arm in those situations. The game is not on the line in those spots. He'll probably get three to five batters. You get him out of there. You get the, you try to keep that pitch count a little bit lower. You see where he's at and you progress with him slowly. I don't know if it'll take till the all-star break for him to get that job, but I do think first two months of the season or so, that's probably, you're gonna, it's going to be a feeling out process and it's starting now and it will continue for the next few months. I don't want to lose sight of how electric he is, though, as a player, because we haven't really seen him at full go now in almost three years. It's been since the 2018 season because 2019, it was midway through the year when the Tommy John popped up. So last time that we saw him in a full season was 2018 when he was 21 years old and just dominated and we were all electrified by his velocity. I expect that to be back once again this season. He's now a year and a half removed from that surgery. This is typically when you'd see them get closer back to 100%. What is your expectation for him by the end of the year? Do you fully anticipate, Alex, that he is going to be your closer when this team makes it into the postseason? Yeah, 100%. I expect the gradual growth to him being the closer, like we've talked about, giving some innings here and there, having a limit on how many times he's out there, days off in between. But by May... June, uh, by that first by that first month of summer in around June, I expect him to be the closer. And then post All Star game, I expect Jordan Hicks to be the go to guy for them once again. I'm with you. I I don't know if it'll happen before the All Star game. I think it may be after the All Star game. That way, he has time to have that All Star break to kind of rest up, and then he's ready to go for the second half of the season. But to my point earlier, you mentioned. Alex, you know, the bullpen's deep with Hicks in it already. I think he's so much better as a closer ahead of Gallegos that it puts the bullpen at another tier because to me, he's a tier above Gallegos as the closer. And then you've got Gallegos as your eight, Reyes as your seven. And if you want Gann as your six, I don't know. I mean, come postseason, my starter's going five innings. And then, all right, well, go ahead and try to hit my bullpen. You yeah. haven't brought up any of the guys that can go multiple innings either, exactly. right? Like you've exactly. got Ponce who could potentially be in your bullpen and give you a couple innings there. I don't love Ponce as a starter. I really love Ponce going two or three innings as my long reliever. They've got so many options, but I'm with you guys. I think by, for me, May to June is probably Mm -hmm. where we start to see that transition period. The other thing is with him, he's not going to be going multiple innings. And so that's even more of a reason why I want him in that specific role. I know exactly when he's going to be used. I think sometimes we overdo it with like the closer label. But for him, I think it's important because then he knows exactly what his role is. Right. Alex Reyes doesn't need that this year. I want to see him get a few more innings than what he would typically get as a primary closer. I want to see a few more innings uh, for a guy like Henesis Cabrera. 
Hicks doesn't fit into that category. I want him to know exactly when he's going to be used and how he's going to be used. Speaking of this bullpen, we've been talking glowingly about the depth that it has. JP Morosi was on a, on with us a couple of weeks ago, and we asked him about the depth of the bullpen. He's a little less high on this group than we are. He sees a lot of question marks with it. He does, however, see the same ceiling that we've talked so much about. We'll get to this here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, JP Morosi was not going to be surprised if the Cardinals bullpen is top three in the league this year. Is that something that you see as well? Yeah, it's hard for me to argue that, BK, because if you look through, you know, the NL East, I mean, you could make the argument that the New York Mets have a strong bullpen, but they got a lot of question marks that go into it. Um, You know, the NL West, yes, the LA Dodgers, but that was a weak spot for them last year. Now, they did upgrade and get Corey Knievel and Blake Trinan, um, but I'm not as sold on that. So in terms of the National League, I think the Cardinals can be top three. Here's that J.P. Morosi cut. You were going to tell me the Cardinals have one of the best three bullpens in baseball. I could see it. If you're going to tell me that they're going to have a bullpen that is their biggest cause for concern at the trade deadline, I could also see that. And I should add here that that's probably not terribly surprising uh, with respect to almost every other team in the majors, maybe with the exception of the Padres and Dodgers, because a lot of relievers threw probably – 25 innings last year and up and down the the list of bullpen options because of where we were with a 60-game season. So I think that this is the the year where we're going to see a lot more variability with respect to the bullpen. Couldn't disagree with him more. I would be absolutely stunned if the Cardinals bullpen is one of their biggest needs going into the trade deadline. In fact, if I said to you guys right now, What is the most likely piece of the team? So whether it be the bullpen, the starters, the defense, the offense, whatever, the most likely piece of this team to have the highest ceiling, I think you can make a case. I would go one defense, but second right there behind that for me would be the bullpen. I think the bullpen is the thing that I am the second most confident about on this team right now. Yeah, especially because there are a couple of unknowns in there. Now you have the depth, but in terms of the bullpen that you have now, I would say, yeah, that's number two in terms of confidence for me because the defense, I have no, I'm not losing any sleep over this defense right now. I'd agree with you guys. The defense is, I think, clearly number one, and then I think the bullpen's right behind it at two because you look at the bullpen, there's not a lot of guys you go, I don't feel comfortable throwing them out there. I have too many guys. Like I I was looking at my roster, and it's, it's to your point, Tanner. It's overflowing with guys that could be in AAA even have and have a big impact down there. Yeah, I... I, the starting rotation, I can name four guys that I have concerns about. The bullpen, I can name zero. Andrew Miller, Hennessy Cabrera, okay, Miller Tyler Webb, there. John Gant, jo- Jordan Hicks, who we're talking about here. Ryan Helsley doesn't even get talked about. In most bullpens, he would be the closer going into the season. Think about that. Yep. The guy throws 97-98, and that's like the fifth most impressive thing for any one pitch for any of these relievers that the Cardinals have. It's amazing what they've got back there, and Jordan Hicks is a big part of that, coming in at number 16 on our most important players for the Cardinals in the 2021 season. We'll continue with number 15. 15 coming up on Monday. Coming up next, though, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get to some questions and answers and some big news coming out of Blues practice. We'll tell you what it is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario and 
Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Boys, it's getting close. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. We'll get to some of those coming up in just a minute. I think you'd prefer to hear this. Alex, I know you have a report from Blues Camp. What's going on down there right now? What's It's morning skate. Sounds like there's a little excitement. Yes, there is. Um, I don't want to set off any alarms for people. I don't want anybody to steer off of the road while they're driving. So make sure we're at 10 and 2 right now. Vladimir Tarasenko, ladies and gentlemen, is not only skating in the practice for the sixth consecutive day, if I'm not mistaken, but he is skating with Braden Shen and David Perron in some line <laughs> oh. rushes. That's right, Alex Ovechkin. Give me that. Yeah. Now, Lou Korak. Jeremy Rutherford, they are all out at send team for the Blues practice. They're practicing today. Wheels up to San Jose after this practice. This is significant, though, because Vladimir Tarasenko in the last six or seven days that he has practiced it and participated in practice, he has not been skating with line rushes. He has been out there. He's been doing some secondary drills. He's been going out there with some line rushes, but he has some shots. Exactly. He's not only skating with a line pairing where you have other guys there, like Austin Pagansky is the extra forward, Nathan Walker, Dakota Joshua, these guys are available now. So that says one thing to me, but also Luke Korak just said that he's taking some contact drills, and he took contact drills a couple of days ago with some of the coaching staff. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be in the lineup on Saturday's game against San Jose. We'll have to wait and hear what Craig Berube has to say for this. But what I can tell you is he is right at that five-month evaluation period that the Blues talked about when he had his surgery in the offseason. And if ever there was some urgency to get 91 back, it's now. The hesitation is you just got to make sure he's 100%. But I don't think he's doing this stuff if he's not 100% out there. So you might be asking yourself, okay, so... Tarasenko is out there. He's skating with Braden Shin and David Perron. Hold on. What does that mean for the other lines? It's a great question to ask. That is Here's, a great question. According to Jeremy Rutherford, that is your top line right now. Perron, Shin, Tarasenko. Rightfully so. You've got Sanford, O'Reilly, and Cairo on the second line. So Sanford on the left wing for Orion O'Reilly. You've got Cairo on the right wing. Your third line today is Sammy Blay, Sonny, and Hoffman dropping down to the third line on the right wing still. Okay. And then your typical fourth line with Clifford, De La Rose, and McEachern. What do you think about that little shakeup, especially on the top two lines? Perron and O'Reilly broken up. Perron now playing on the left wing with Shin. And then Sanford, O'Reilly, Cairo as your second. I think this is testing to see some other chemistries because right now it's just not been working. I originally, when I heard it was Perron, Shen, and Tarasenko, I thought it'd be Cairo, O'Reilly, Hoffman. But the more I think about it, that's top heavy once again. And what that does is you shorten your bench on a third line because your third line would have been Sammy Blay, Zach Sanford, Oscar Sundquist. Putting Hoffman on that third line gives you a little bit more depth. Putting Sanford with Ryan O'Reilly is that comfort factor to where he plays better when he's with Ryan O'Reilly. Hopefully we see that. Hopefully we do see that, but you get the speed of Jordan Cairo. The only part that I'm a little hesitant about is taking Perron off of his off wing. Yeah, but you have some decisions to make if you're going to do that. You're either taking him off of his off wing, Jordan Cairo off of his off wing, or Mike Hoffman. Jordan Cairo is still young. I think you want to keep that consistency there. Mike Hoffman has not played well when he's been on the left side. David Perron's natural position has always been the left wing. So it's a little test right now for Craig Berube. I wouldn't write this down in permanent marker. I think it's pencil right now because we don't know with Tarasenko. It's like the invisible ink that yes. you can use on a text message right now. Dwight uses urine in the office if that's where you're going to go with it, but that's fine. Um, 
<laughs> this is this is more depth for your offense, frankly. This is what you're doing with it. You're putting a couple of top-heavy players, but moving Hoffman with Oscar Sundquist gives you a reliable third line to... Gives you a scoring punch. It takes some time off of Ryan O'Reilly's legs, and right now you need it. Uh, using a basketball reference, it's like when you have your second unit out there and you have no scores coming off of the bench. A lot of coaches like having a combo guard that can get his own shot coming off of the bench because now you've got somebody that has the ability to score whenever your starters are out of the game. They can take command of the offense. That's basically what Hoffman on the third line is. The hope would be that he can do for him there. And look, a lot of people are texting Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Stop moving Sanford up in the lineup. <laughs> look, I get that. Honestly, I, 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 I hear you. <laughs> I, I get it, but he's played his best with Ryan O'Reilly. If you're going to get the best out of number 12, don't you roll your eyes at me, T-Bone. If you're going to get the best out of him, you put him on that line. I don't know if he stays there. Maybe Nathan Walker gets into the lineup on Saturday. But I think this is less about – sorry to interrupt there. Well, I, I think this is apologize. less about Sanford and more about getting depth that you were talking about. Yeah. I, I don't look at this as Sanford getting more opportunities at the, with the top lines. Look at this up. as them putting scoring punch on the third line. Right. Would you agree with that? I, I would agree with that. But look, if you're going to have Sanford in the lineup, I'm putting him with somebody who makes him a better player, and that's Ryan O'Reilly. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Uh, 65780 from the 314. Guys, when do you think Tarasenko will play then? How about this, Alex, from Jeremy Rutherford? Quote, I'm not saying Tarasenko will play Saturday in San Jose, but based on how he looks in practice today, JR would be pretty surprised if he's not in the lineup during this six-game road trip. I would too. That completely changes the conversation about what we've been having with this Blues team. Completely changes the course of our conversation. 100%. I have been, and by the way, the other day, we did hear Baruby say that they could get a couple of guys back. I didn't know who he was talking about at that point you because it, it was felt Walker like, and Joshua. Well, I was like, it, it feels like all of these guys are pretty far away. Schwartz isn't skating right now. Bozak came back and then now he's not skating again. I couldn't think in my mind. I was like, okay, maybe he's talking about one of the quarantine guys and getting Scandella back into the mix after he had missed some time in that last game. If Tarasenko was one of the guys that they were talking about, well, there's your scoring punch. There's your threat coming off of the bench, if you will, that we didn't see coming that might be coming. So real quick to um, I, I'm with Jr. I see them getting him in the lineup because he's done this on a consistent basis and he has been doing contact drills BK so that's important I do see him if it's not on Saturday I think at some point on this road trip can I do a little tinfoil Ferrario for oh, you please now look we all know that social media is the end all be all of decisions right like Facebook if it's not on Facebook it's not official uh -huh. well if it's not tweeted or put out on Instagram it's not official now as excited as we are about Vladimir Tarasenko skating there has not been one post from the St. Louis Blues on Twitter Instagram, Facebook of seeing 91 on the ice today, which tells me they don't want to spread that rumor too early. So maybe they're going to wait until they know for certain Vladimir is healthy enough. So a little tinfoil time for you, BK. If it's not on Twitter or Instagram from the Blues, I don't know if it's official. I respect it. Uh, I think that is a deep, deep, deep tinfoil Ferrario. Really? I thought it was pretty good. For a Friday. I thought it was pretty good. It, yeah, you've I, had better. I've had better. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have definitely yeah. had better. Yeah, it's true.
I will be very interested to see when he is able to return and what he looks like when he's back. I the, the one fear that I would have, and I don't think the Blues are doing this because they have much more invested in him than I do. Yeah. The one fear that I think, if you're a, if you're a Blues fan, that you probably have hearing all of this is, are they rushing him back because they have so many other guys injured? I would be stunned if they are rushing him back. I do, however, think there's a little more urgency now than there would have been otherwise. If they didn't have all of these guys hurt, I wonder if they would be playing it even more cautiously. But because so many guys are out of the lineup right now, if he feels good, if he tells you, hey, I'm, I'm fine, I've been feeling great, and he comes out, out of practice today feeling great, and the doctors are telling you, hey, everything structurally is intact, you should be good to go, mm-hmm. well, then now it, there's more urgency to go ahead and listen to all of those signs and just get him back out there on the ice. Whereas if you did have everybody still ready to go in the lineup today, I think it would be more of you hear all of that, okay, okay, but we've heard this before, we're going to... Whenever you feel right, take another two weeks and then we'll know for sure that you're good. Yep. I think that's probably what's happening. Yeah, I have no inkling that the Blues are saying, well, Vladdy, I don't care if you're not 100%. We'll take 85%. One, you're you're not jeopardizing your future of Vladimir Tarasenko by that. So if he's skating, if he's doing these contact drills, he feels that that shoulder is ready to go. The Blues feel the shoulder is ready to go. And I already hear the response to this, BK. Well, that's what we thought in the bubble and look what happened. You're right. That's why the Blues aren't going to force him back because they don't want another bubble thing to happen. So if he's playing, I have full full faith that the Blues, Doug Armstrong, Vladimir Tarasenko, the team doctors all feel that he is ready to go. So there is a question from the 314. Guys, if Tarasenko is able to play and he comes off long-term IR, what would that do to the Blues' salary cap? So I'm looking at this on Cap Friendly, which is a website that tracks these sorts of things. And they have the Blues currently with $5.5 million in cap space. So they would need to clear, at least based on these numbers, they would need to clear about $2 million to be able to, to put Tarasenko on the active roster. I wonder if, and tell me if this is correct or not, Alex, could they put a guy like Schwartz or... I don't know who else you would do. Maybe Tyler Bozak. Put, yeah, Schwartz or Bozak on long-term IR, and then their their money would come off, and it would be like Tarasenko, right? Correct. Until they return. They could do that. Now, if you go on long-term IR, there's a certain amount of time that you have to be on it before they can activate you. Um, Tyler Bozak, the fact that he was skating a couple of days ago and then stopped skating, Joey said it yesterday with us that signifies might be some bad news on that front so we don't know with that you have to miss at least 10 games or 24 days okay so according to 10 uh, games would take you to the middle of march the other thing you could do is you could put somebody on the taxi squad now if you do that they have to go through waivers so a team can claim them but if you decide because they've already put carl gunnerson on the ltir long-term injured reserve that's 1.75 so you could put another player with two million dollars on the taxi squad the problem is though again you got to make them go through waivers and i don't know who you would do that with and be okay with losing have they put thomas on ltir could they do that too because he's missing time making enough money i don't think yeah he's only making eight hundred ninety four thousand dollars. if you're going to put somebody on ltir it has to be tyler bozak and he's already on ltir by the way, who so, Bozak? No, uh, Thomas, and he's making oh, less than a million dollars. I thought so he was just on difference. the injured reserve, but yeah, you would have to put somebody. I mean, even Ivan Barbashev doesn't do that for you. It would have to be Robert Tyler Bozak 
Colton Pareko or Jaden Schwartz that you would do those and you would have to basically be signifying we're going to be without you for 10 games, which is going to take you to the middle of March. Sure, correct myself. You are right on this. He is on IR, not long-term injured reserve. Same thing for Tyler Bozak right yeah. now. I wonder if they move Bozak to the LTIR. I wonder if that's the move here. The, and The fact he hasn't it, skated for a couple of days signifies that that could be the chance. That would at least give you the opportunity to kind of kick the can down the road and yeah. then in the next few weeks, now you're able to make some more determinations. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, man, I want to see the Cardinals get active again. And I'm not talking about in the free agency market. We'll tell you what it is coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Cardinals to be a little bit more aggressive. Already? You're complaining about them? We haven't even started yet. Well, we, I'm not on the Cardinals team. I'm just talking about them. They haven't started yet. Let's be honest. Nolan Arenado's just not enough. Paul Goldschmidt's not performing like an MVP right now. I'm talking about the base paths. Oh, sorry. I want to see the Cardinals be a little bit more aggressive on the bases this season. In Mike Schultz's first season as the full-time manager, They were third in all of baseball with stolen bases. They had 116 steals in the 2019 season. Last year, just 18 on the season. That was good for 27th in all of baseball. You go back to 2018. I know that most of that year was spent under Mike Matheny, and he was not the most aggressive on the base paths. They were also 26th that season. So you've got kind of a sandwich right now. 2018, they were bottom five in all of baseball and stolen bases. 2019, top five. And then 2020, back to the bottom five in all of baseball and stolen bases. This is a team that might not profile. I know uh, our guy Anthony Stalter loves the ISO, isolated power. That's his favorite stat, right? He loves talking about the slugging percentage, and it's all about the slug, and Tanner's on the same path with him. This team has some slugging, for sure. They've got some guys that profile from that perspective. They also have some damn good athletes, you look at the sprint speeds, again, getting into the nerdy side of things. Tyler ba- Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Lane Thomas, Tommy Edmond, all 95th percentile or above. So top five percentile in all of baseball in terms of how fast those guys are. Dylan Carlson, a really good athlete who profiles as a 15 to 20 stolen base guy. Alex, one of the things that I would love to see from this team in 2021 that we did not see a year ago, and the reasons are understandable why we didn't. I would love to see them get a little bit more aggressive, take that extra base on singles and steal some bases whenever you get to first. Yeah, I mean, and frankly, this comes down to guys getting on base. I mean, the names you just listed off right now, Tommy Edmond, we don't know what he's going to be this season. Dylan Carlson, the same can be said. Bader, O'Neill, Lane Thomas, the guys who are elite athletes when it comes to speed on the base paths are the ones that we are the most unsure about for this upcoming season. But the good news is, If they can get on base, I truly believe this will be one of the top teams in terms of stolen bases and extra bases when they're on the base paths because of the possibility of hit and runs. You got two guys who make elite contact with the ball in Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. The same, frankly, can be said about Yadier Molina in terms of contact and how he is at the plate makes it. So if I'm Mike Schilt and what we talked about at the opening of the show, building that lineup, I'm building it around those guys with players who can run the base path solid. Edmund and Carlson at the top. That's Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado with hit and run opportunities. 
See, the more I think about it, the more I'm starting to think they will become less aggressive. Because, oh, really? Because I don't want them getting caught stealing and then there being no one on for Goldie and Arnado. Now, hit and run, maybe. Maybe they do do that a lot because, like you said, Alex, these guys are great contact hitters. But I don't want a scenario where I've got a runner on first, I've got Goldie up, and then all of a sudden, I'll use Carlson as my example, gets caught stealing. Well, now I've got either one or two outs and nobody on for Goldie. And I don't want that to happen. So as much as I look at the roster and I say, yeah, they've got some guys that got speed. And I think I said last week or earlier this week, hey, they could be a top team stealing. You know, they're full 162. There's not... I think they've got the speed to do it. They're not doing all these double headers like they did last year, which was, I think, big factor. But the more I thought about it, I was like, I see them middle of the pack, around 15th in the Major League Baseball and stolen bases because I don't want those guys getting caught on base when I have my solid Goldie and Arnado combo coming up. It's a gamble. It's absolutely a gamble to go the route that I'm talking about, but I think it's worthwhile for them because they have guys that are really good base runners and have unbelievable speed. I mean, you're good base runners. It extends even beyond the guys that I've mentioned. Paul Goldschmidt's a really good base runner. Now, he's not a guy that's going to steal a bunch of bases. Yadier Molina, in fact, is actually a really good base runner. Those are guys that won't profile as 15, 20 stolen bases in a year, but they'll take that extra base whenever they get the opportunity. Uh, we did get a text. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, what's the difference anymore between top five and bottom five in stolen bases? Nobody is stealing in baseball anymore. Well, you go back to 2019, the last full season that we watched in baseball. So the fifth best team when it came to stolen bases in total was the Seattle Mariners. They had 115 that year. So that was fifth in all of baseball. The bottom five, so 26th in the league, was Toronto with 51 steals. So we're talking about more than double the stolen bases that the the 25th, 26th best team in baseball had. That's huge, man. You talk about slugging. What is slugging? It's doubles, triples, homers, right? When you steal that extra base, you've essentially hit a double. That's that's what it's a, it's amounting to. So now, instead of needing a double to hit that guy home, you just need a single potentially to the outfield. So that's why I think this is so significant. And a lot of these guys profile as either top of the order types of hitters or like Harrison Bader, he's probably going to be batting eighth or ninth. So he's going to be on first potentially. Tommy Edmond comes up next. And if Tommy Edmond doesn't get on, he steals. Well, now you've got... Carlson, Goldschmidt, and Arenado potentially coming up with a runner in scoring position. I want those opportunities. I want the opposing pitcher to have a little bit more pressure on them as they're throwing to my main my main guys in the order. I think it makes a lot of sense. Especially if you're looking at guys with the name of Tommy Edmond, who's your leadoff hitter, and he's in the 95th mm-hmm. percentile. That is elite right now when it comes to base running. Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, these guys who will be hitting at the bottom of your lineup have the possibility of getting on base and turning those singles into doubles, which carries itself over into a Tommy Edmond, a Dylan Carlson, a Paul Goldschmidt, and a Nolan Arenado. Maybe it's not going to be stealing, but I truly believe this team is going to take that next step in terms of hit and runs and extra bases. Like, that's going to be a... I, I don't know this for a fact, but that's going to be a main point that I would assume Absolutely. Mike Schilt is going to tell these guys, look, when there is contact made, you better get on your high horse and start running because if you can get to third base on a single from a Paul Goldschmidt, we are setting ourselves up for a potential lead in the first or second inning. The big thing here is like it, we're, t- we're focusing, or at least I'm focusing a lot on the stolen bases, and that's part of it. That is an element of base running. It's also, as Alex just said, the extra bases that you're taking. It's the hit and run opportunities. It's all of this. All of this goes into the same category. 
I just want to see them more aggressive in general. I want to see them being guys that when they get on the bases, there is action taking place because this is a team that has enough really high level athletes and not enough of the middle of the order bats potentially that you, you let's do a little small ball. Let, let's get a little creative with the way that we're able to score some runs for this team. I think that's probably going to be their best way to take advantage of this offense going into 2021. You got to put pressure on the pitchers. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really have to put the pitchers in a bind where they're more concerned about the guy on first than they are the guy at the plate. The other thing it does when you try to steal bases and you're putting the ball in play and hitting runs and all this, it's not just the pitchers that it puts pressure on. It's also the opposing defenses. Mm -hmm. And with more teams now focusing more on hitting than on defense, the Cardinals are in a unique situation where they don't make a whole lot of fumbles in the outfield or in the infield defensively. Other teams do. So you're putting a heck of a lot of pressure on them defensively, pitching, everything. It's always, always go pedal to the metal against this Look team. Look at what hopefully. happened in the Dodgers and Rays game, the World Series of that Absolutely. walk-off winner because of the fact that that speed on the base path. It's 12-15, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, Dom Luzenchinzen has Justin Falk as one of the five leading candidates to win a Norse Trophy this year. We'll talk to him about what Justin Falk has been able to do, and he's run a bunch of the numbers on the Blues power play. What's gone wrong? How do they fix it? Dom Luzenchinzen tells us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. I hope I'm saying this correctly. He's one of the best in the business. His NHL analysis over on The Athletic is fantastic. He breaks down all of the numbers. He is Dom. I know that part. Losing Chinzen, I believe. <laughs> Dom, how you doing today, man? How close was I? I it cut out at the last syllable, so I'm I'm not sure. But losing Chinzen, we'll is that correct? Effort. Oh, no, that's so bad. Oh. It's so bad. <laughs> okay. Can you pronounce Drive. your last name for me? Uh, it's Luce Chisholm. Luce Chisholm. Okay. Now, Dom, Dom <laughs> my wife, her maiden name had two Z's in it, and she told me that there was no way I was allowed to date her until I could spell and pronounce her last name properly, and I had to study that damn thing for probably a couple of hours before I even would try and call her because I was worried about it. I, I've done that before. I think it was to like actual girlfriends I had. I didn't do the stipulation beforehand, but I definitely said you better you better learn how to sell this thing. Well, Dom, we appreciate you taking the time with us today, man. Let's start with this. So the Blues have had two guys that have really been a standout player for them so far this season that have been surprises in the positive direction. Let's start with Justin Falk because he he had his struggles a year ago and it seems like everything's kind of come around for him this season as you looked into the numbers and you looked at what Justin Falk has done for this team this year uh, what are they what are they telling you uh, a lot of surprises really i before the season started i had a article on the 10 worst contracts in hockey and it was an article i did the year prior and it seems like there's one guy on that list who, like, I don't know, maybe he read it. He's like, I'm not going to be on this list next year. <laughs> and the year before, uh, it was, I think, Max Pacioretty was on it because he was getting up there in age and he wasn't very effective in his first year. And then last year, he and Stone were just dynamite on that top line. And this year, it seems like that guy is Justin Falk. I, 
I didn't expect this at all. I don't know if many did. It seemed like when he signed that big deal before he played a, a single game for the Blues, it was a huge mistake. And this season, he's been much better than he's ever really looked at all in St. Louis or even in Carolina. This is the guy they thought they were getting when they paid him that contract. And of all the defensemen on the team, he's leading in expected goals percentage and I think actual goals percentage as well. So when he's on the ice at 5-on-5, five five, the Blues are winning the scoring chance battle and winning on the scoreboard as well more than any other defenseman. So, Dom, I, I have thrown Justin Falk's name into the Norris Trophy conversation a couple of times this season, frankly, because he has been their best player on the ice. And if you look in the National Hockey League, his plus-minus, which I know is such an up-and-down stat, he's been at the top all season long. Where do you have this guy in terms of a maybe early look at the best defenseman in the National Hockey League? Yeah, I did an awards watch uh, earlier this week, and he was in the top five, and I... I'm still surprised that he's up there and has been up there for this long, but he's definitely played his way into the conversation. As as bad as plus-minus is as a stat, when you take away the things that make it bad, like shorthanded goals for, empty netters, all that random stuff that doesn't belong, he's still up there in five-on-five goals. And the fact he drives possession is a great sign. He's leading the Blues in that regard. And... Uh, I guess the the plus minus is a bit lucky for now, and we'll see how things go throughout the season, but he's playing well enough to be in the conversation for sure right now. Dom, the other guy that I wanted to ask you about is Jordan Kyrou, who has been sensational so far this season. He's been a part-time player in previous years, and now he's taken on a full-time top six role, and he's been great in that role. What what have you seen from him? What do the numbers say about just how impressive Jordan Kyrou has been to start this season? It's been amazing, his start. I remember a couple of years ago, any time I would write about the Blues, they all the fans would be really excited about Kairou, and nothing really happened for his first two stints in the NHL. And then this year, he sort of blew up. He finally got a chance further up the lineup, and he can really score, which is obviously a thing this team needs right now. Like Justin Falk, he's leading the team in puck possession as well, which is always a great sign, and... He's getting chances, he's scoring, and he's doing a lot of other things right as well to make him an effective player. So at 5-on-5 then, Dom, I'm curious, especially since we're talking Jordan Cairo, a majority, I think all of his goals have come at 5-on-5 in big-time moments for the Blues. Now, with all of these injuries piling up, the Blues 5-on-5 has taken a little bit of a hit, but when you look at their even-strength play this season, what sticks out to you? I think what sticks out is how underwhelming it's been i feel like they're usually a very dominant team and obviously they're dealing with a lot of injuries right now but right now they're 21st in the league and expect a goal percentage and when they won the cup a big reason for that is in the second half they were the best team in the league and they were controlling play and that was obvious from watching they owned the puck they had it on their sticks pretty much the entire game the other teams could generate absolutely nothing because they just didn't have the puck and that's not happening as much this year and one of the interesting things that i saw right now that i didn't even realize is that ryan o'reilly's on ice numbers have not been very good at all this year and that's a shock to me because he's a perennial selkie contender 
Yeah, it's it's been weird to watch, and they've kind of been filtering guys through that top line with him and David Perron, and it looks like today they switched up that line once again. Dom, I did want to ask you as well about the power play because that's kind of been the talk of the town, especially the last week or two since they've been so banged up with so many guys out right now. What's going on with their power play? From the from what you can see inside of the numbers, what's gone wrong for them? And is there anything that you can see that, like, this is the way that they fix it? It's weird because they had a good power play last year, and I figured signing Tory Krug would mean that they could keep that up, and that hasn't been the case so far. I, I looked into the numbers from the first month and then from February, and their, their goal-scoring rate has dropped. But even in January, they were still a little below average. This month, it's been pretty bad. Only four teams have scored fewer goals per 60 on the power play. But what is interesting is they they seem to be generating more scoring chances in this past month. And last month, they sort of got what they deserve. This month, they're sort of unlucky. And I think that suggests to me that they should be able to turn a corner soon. And they just need some pucks to start going in. Some of that comes from a guy like Mike Hoffman, who they also brought in in the offseason to mm-hmm. be that power play specialist. Dom, what sticks out to you about Hoffman's game? Because for us, at least he's starting to shoot the puck a lot more. He's finding the back of the net, but he still hasn't looked like that Mike Hoffman I think a lot of Blues fans expected. Yeah, he's he's always been a very weird player because his entire game is his shot. There's been... I think times in the past few years where his defensive game has really come into question. And if he's not scoring on the power play, then I, I'm not sure what he's doing out there, but I think he's just getting a bit unlucky this year. That's part of the, the issue right now with them not scoring as much as expected. Hoffman has 1.4 goals for 60. He's expected to get 2.3 and he's shooting 5.6%. And we all know Mike Hoffman can score a lot more than that. We've seen his shot. He's got a hell of a release. And when he starts burying those, I think the team will, the team's power play will look a lot better. Well, Dom, people can find your work over at the athletic. You do do fantastic stuff for them, breaking down all of the numbers. Like you said, you had a recent piece breaking down some of the, uh, the top awards as we get to what is this now? I guess the third of the way through Mm -hmm. almost halfway through the (laughs) regular season. You can also follow him on Twitter at his name, Don, Luschinsen, did I get it closer that time around? It was technically closer, but that's only because it could not get much worse. (laughs) Fair enough. Dom, thanks so much for the time, man. Really appreciate you hopping on with us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That is Dom joining us here on 101 ESPN. Can I have you pronounce fe- his last name no, for me? I have a feeling he gets that 24-7, I know, and too. I apologize. I feel really bad about it because people mispronounce. My na- my last name is not hard. It's Kylie, K-I-L-E-Y, but people call it Kyle. Uh, it, it, they call it all different things. I do sincerely apologize. This is not me, like, trying to joke around about it. No. I just, I'm really terrible. There's a lot of S's and Z's and C's. Well, it's, a, it's a Polish last name because yeah. my wife's maiden name was spelled, it was Paskowitz, but it's like Paskiewicz or something like this. And there is, like, three Z's at the end of it. So I, I'm assuming that uh, it would be a Polish name, which is not an easy thing. But again, yeah. I- I have a feeling he goes through this a lot. Absolutely. And my, my fiance's, uh, her mom's maiden name was Bogdanovich. So I've, I've seen that as well. I just, I struggle with this one. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, all right, we have talked so much about what Russell Wilson is worth in a trade, what Deshaun Watson is worth in a trade. Coming up next, we're going to redraft the NFL's quarterbacks. We're each going to get three picks. 
This is for the future. It's not for the here and now. I know, oh, who, I know who he's picking first. I'm not taking the first pick. It'll be Alex picking first, Tanner picking second. I will get the third pick, and then we'll reverse it back around. Coming up next, we're redrafting the NFL's quarterbacks to talk about the value these guys hold. That's next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Okay, I'm sick of the what are player X, Y, and Z going to go for via trade? I'm done with that conversation. Russell Wilson may or may not get traded. Dak Prescott, who knows what's going to happen with him? Uh, apparently, Deshaun Watson, the Texans are like, eh, the draft's not a real deadline. Yeah, people have to use those picks, but it's not a real deadline. We could always trade them later if necessary. Uh, let's not talk about that right now. Let's have a draft. Draft, draft, draft. Let's draft the NFL quarterbacks. We'll go three rounds. Each of us gets three picks. And this is for the now and the future. So you're building a team, right? Of course, you'd have three quarterbacks. Be a little weird to do it that way. But this is the way that we're going to do it. So you're drafting for value, right? Okay. Alex is going to have the first pick. Tanner is going to go second. I'll go third. We'll snake it back around. So I'll get three and four and go back to Tanner from there. Oh, great. I'm in the sandwich. Oh, this, I'm in a <laughs> bad draft spot. the best position to be in. We have a trade to announce. Would you Would you prefer to not go snake? We can go regular. Do you want to go care. first? I don't you care. First? Hey, if it's like the NFL draft, everybody turns it off after the first round. Okay, That's fair enough. Do I get 60 seconds <laughs> in between my picks? <laughs> uh, we can talk to talk about it as we go. Okay. Alex, with the first overall pick, who you taking in the NFL quarterback well, redraft? Hold on, let me start my clock because, I mean, there's so many guys. I mean, you got Mitch Trubisky that you can go with. Uh, you got Carson Wentz that you could decide to, to draft and run this team with. Boy, I don't know. There's so many names. It's Patrick Mahomes. I'm taking Mahomes. 25 years old. Don't boo me. Patrick Mahomes, 25 years old. I have this guy locked up. Franchise started with the first overall fantasy draft pick in quarterbacks of the BK and Ferrario show. Mr. Ferrario takes Patrick Mahomes. This was the clear cut, most obvious pick in this entire draft. There's no question no. about it. You had to take Patrick Mahomes. Now is where the draft gets interesting. Yeah, Tanner, with the second overall pick, who are we going with? Mitch Trubisky. I didn't get one of those for mine. <laughs> with the second overall pick, I have to go with Deshaun Watson. Okay. I love the upside with Deshaun Watson. He's already there, basically. But what about he's gonna, Sam Darnold? Oh my God. He's gonna be he's <laughs> gonna be excited to be on this team, whatever team we're on. Just as long as it's not based in Houston, he's gonna That's come out point. and he's gonna have an MVP caliber <laughs> season. He's number two overall, baby. So he's young, he's fantastic. We've seen him do it at a high level already. If the first year that he was a starter, kind of we always talk about this with Carson Wentz. We yeah. don't talk about it enough with Deshaun Watson. He was on an MVP type of run that first year as a starter. He's he got was, attitude too. He's got everything. He's the total package. He makes sense as the number two pick. This is where I think it starts getting interesting. I thought about a few different guys here. I gave a few, few different looks. We looked into the background of a few different quarterbacks, and I think I'm ready to go with the third overall pick. With my third pick in this quarterback redraft, we're taking Justin Herbert, quarterback from the LA Chargers. Justin Herbert. He is very, very young. He looked amazing last year. He found out literally 15 seconds prior to his first start that he was making the start. 
because Tyrod Taylor had a lung. I shouldn't be laughing about this. A lung that collapsed because his because trainer, Justin's dad did that. Exactly. So well, then, now that's a tinfoil. Justin Herbert is going to be my first pick here. And with the fourth oh, overall pick get to go right back and forth, going with the snake draft here. I'm making a late change. This guy was a late call up. Here we go with the fourth overall pick. We're going Josh Allen. I thought he's going Darnold. I did too. Daniel Josh Jones. Allen is going to be my fourth overall pick. So I've got Justin Herbert and Josh Allen, two very young guys on the upswing. I like where I'm at right now, boys. It's a good pick. That's a good pick. All right, T-Bone. All don't right. mess this up. Fifth. Daniel Jones is still sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> fifth overall pick. I was going to do an Ed Ogeron, but I don't know how. So I'm going to go Joe Burrow. He's going to be Damn, my wow. pick fifth overall. Wow, I, I our first love, reach. Our Damn first it. reach. I love Burrow's upside. I think he's right behind Justin Herbert. He's going to have to recover wow. from the knee surgery. But I love Joe Burrow. You don't put those kind of numbers up in the SEC unless you're a stud. I'm and stu- that's what Joe Burrow is. I'm that's, stunned. Oh, I could, terrible pick. He was eighth on my board. Yeah, terrible I was, pick. I wouldn't have even taken him in the next round. Hopefully, terrible. Stunning. Hopefully I can get an offensive line with him. but. Damn. If I do, Joe Burrow, MVP caliber in the next three to five years. Terrible. Give me Joe Burrow fifth overall. Terrible okay. pick. You Alex, told me to draft Darnold. Terrible. Alex Actually, is coming Daniel up Jones. next with back-to-back picks. Do I get my sounder this time? No. You get your sounder okay. this time. Around. I am ready, ladies and gentlemen. Hit me with the sounder. With the sixth overall draft pick in our BK and Ferrario fantasy QB draft, Mr. Ferrario is selecting the former MVP, Lamar Jackson. What? He wasn't even on my board. Wow. He didn't even make <laughs> my terrible. list. That's terrible. That's terrible. Lamar Jackson, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, why wouldn't you go with the guy? Wow. He's an MVP. You put him in a good team where he's got a good system, guys to throw to. We're talking about another MVP. So Lamar Jackson, whether you like it or not, BK, he's going to okay. Team Ferrari. Okay, you got one more pick. This, this is, is the last one for you. This is where things get really let's, interesting. Let's finish things off strong, Alex. Are you, do, you ha- do you feel like... Are you deciding between a few guys? Or are you down to one? Yeah. How are you feeling going into I'm, this? I'm pick? deciding between Risky a couple Trubisky? of them. No. Yeah. If, if Mitch Trubisky ever even enters this conversation, really entering the chat, oh, that is a smart pick. Frankly, are we are we allowed to take guys that are going to be drafted this year? Jeff George. Jeff George. That's <laughs> made up. That? that is made up. Are we allowed to pick guys that are going to be drafted this year? Yeah, oh, you could go hey with oh. one. It's, I can. It's, it's off the board. It's something that I didn't oh, think that people would okay. do. But yeah, hit me with it. Then, you boys. Go with it? Ladies and gentlemen, the next pick, the pick in the third round of the BK and Ferrario QB fantasy draft to ruin draft picks for Tanner and Brandon Kylie, the man with the hair, the flow, Trevor Lawrence, sunshine, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck. And Matt Stafford all balled into one as Dan Orlovsky. Trevor Lawrence, you bring your flow to Team Ferrari. Can we talk about that for a second? Dan Orlovsky really went on a national television show yesterday. I love Dan. I think he does amazing analysis. Analysis, rather. (laughs) Or the first one. I also know how to speak. Uh, (laughs) He compared Trevor Lawrence, a guy that has not played in the NFL at all, to Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, and Matt Stafford, who randomly got the intern into the mix for some reason. Is not like the other. <laughs> All right. Tanner, with your final pick, the eighth overall selection in this 2021 NFL quarterback redraft. Who are you taking, my friend? I'm. There's going to be criticism on this pick like there was the last one for some reason. <laughs> risky Trubisky. It's not Risky Trubisky. 
and I think I know who BK will take since I'm going to leave him on the board quite possibly. Age is not, it's just a number, boys. Russell Wilson. Okay. 30, oh, I forgot my damn sounder. <laughs> Russell Wilson's my last pick. He's 32. Yes, he's getting up there in age, but if he's, to me, he's one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. He's going to play till Tom Brady's age, as long as he gets an offensive line, too. I'm going Russell Wilson. He was fifth on my board, so he would have been my next selection. I think it's a great choice. I don't. Terrible choice. Alex is over here just making all kinds of crazy decisions. (laughs) Terrible choice. That was a good one. No, That's a great selection. This guy's drafting a guy that hasn't played a snap in the NFL. All right. Now I'm on to the final selection, and I'm choosing between three guys. Dak Prescott, Kyler Ooh. Murray, and Aaron Rodgers. All three are terrible. Well, not Rodgers. So here's the problem. Rodgers is old. <laughs> He's really? very old. Another guy that I gave consideration to is even older, Tom Brady. He was the next He's one on up my on my board. list. Not. Nope. He's going to play till 50. No way. All right, the pick is in. With the ninth and final selection in the 2021 BK and Ferrario NFL quarterback redraft, I'm going with Dak Prescott. Oh, one-legged Prescott. So my quarterbacks for my team, I think, have unbelievable upside. Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, and Dak Prescott. We've got mobile quarterbacks that have strong arms, are known as being great leaders. I like where I'm at. Alex Ferrario, on the other hand, some Patrick Mahomes schmuck. Lamar Jackson, who shouldn't have even been selected. What? Yeah, true. How many MVPs does uh, Justin Herbert and Josh Allen have? They'll have more by the end of their careers. And can throw more than Lamar. They know how to throw the ball. And Trevor Lawrence, who has yet to take a snap in the NFL, but has been compared. Peyton Manning, boys. He's draft like the Jets. Andrew Luck and Matt Stafford. Tanner Hendrickson, like his board, like his board. A little bit of a reach with Joe Burrow, in my opinion. Dumb. Deshaun Watson. Joe Burrow and Russell Wilson. We're going to see who won this draft. I'm putting it on Twitter right now. Head over to Ferrario 101 ESPN and vote on your draft picks. Who won the 2021 BK and Ferrario Fantasy QB draft? Are you guys surprised that Kyler Murray didn't end up being selected in this? That that is one that stands out to me as probably the biggest snub, if you will. No, because, I mean, he hasn't. He hasn't shown me what all of these other quarterbacks have shown me. I think I would, I would in a redraft, I would take him over Lamar. You know, now that I'm looking at my draft, I think I would have taken <laughs> Baker Mayfield over Lamar. Really? Mm-hmm. If you could have Baker or Lamar the rest of their careers, you would take Baker I Mayfield. I think I would take Baker. Really? Yeah. I would not. Where, where do you stand on that, Tanner? Baker or Lamar? Yeah, if you could have one for the rest of their career, don't, don't look into money or anything like that. Just if you could have one or the other as your franchise quarterback. I'd say ba- I'd say Baker. Really? I to, Lamar Lamar running scares me, and his knee was an issue this year, and we saw what happened with the injury, and that's why I'm not shocked that Kyler didn't make it onto this list. He runs now. Yeah. He, he's super. He's smaller than Lamar. He that's gets why at hit, least I went Lamar over done. Kyler because like at least Lamar's big enough to make the throws. Kyler's. Kyler's Drew Brees style where he's got to look over his offensive lineman to find somebody. So the tough thing about this draft is that the number one pick is so overwhelmingly important. Like, I think from two through nine on these selections, they're all kind of in the same category for me. Like, Mahomes is up here. And then all of those other guys that we just drafted are kind of in that second tier. And and frankly, when when I look at this, you know, Mahomes was the obvious number one choice for me. Watson would have been number two. Between Burrow, Herbert, 
Herbert. I almost said a Herbert. Burrow, Herbert, and Josh Allen, I would have taken all three of those guys over Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I'm with because you. Because those three were the ones that I'm thinking. If you get them, that's a steal. But because they were taken, I think you're you're in that kind of middle tier right now. Can I, can I tell you someone that was a surprise on my list, yeah. on my board? Drew Locke. You had Drew you Locke? You had Drew Locke He's on your on board? My, he would be at the very bottom of my board. Wow. I think if like you put, the Jets. I, th- <laughs> I didn't take him. I think I think if you put him in a spread offense, I love his arm. I think he could do something special still at the NFL wow. level. Ferrario's winning the draft right now, boys. I thought for sure I was the biggest Drew Locke homer on this show, and I'm not even sure he's a starting quarterback well, in the league. <laughs> T-Bone loves Mizzou, though. You know that, BK. That's a good point. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Alex, what do you have for us today, my man? Boys, I got audio cuts. And that's a dangerous thing when Ferrario gets into the junk drawer. So I'm all about anniversaries, special moments in sports Are history. You? Oh, yeah. Special moments. Well, I've only You're had ruining one. my anniversary next week. So it's very true. I well, would disagree. With you're not that. married yet. If you were married, then it would be a little bit more important, in my opinion. But that's fine. That's fine, BK. Nine years ago today, boys, you know what happened? You know what took place? So it's 2012 February. I'd... Was that Mizzou versus KU? No, I wouldn't talk about Mizzou. T-Bone? What? <laughs> T-Bone, nine years ago? Nine years ago. Oh, my gosh. I It's all over television today, boys. I don't know how we're not making sense of this. Oh, see, I had trouble with my television this morning. Well, Maybe that that's makes why. sense then. What was so, it? So, it was possibly the most legendary moment in sports and in sports quotes. Take a listen. Strike to claim it. A strike to claim it. And he got it! I don't really care about the, the moment as much as I care about the quote. It's possibly the, the greatest quote in sports history. Who do you think you are? I am from the pro bowler himself, the legendary moment. So the more you think about this moment, you're thinking that's the dumbest quote somebody could ever say in sure. sports, right? Like it makes no sense. Not if you find out who he was saying it to. Take a listen. I had a kid rooting against me during the match, and he was doing it loud enough, just loud enough for me to hear. So a child was chirping this man, bowling, and that was his his shot back at him. That was the rebuttal to the chirping. Who do you think you are? I am. Makes zero sense. So then I got to thinking, okay, there are some dumb quotes in sports history from individuals that you're thinking, what the hell was he talking about? A couple of them. Uh, Dennis Rodman. We all know Dennis Rodman. He is an incredible human being. Chemistry is a class where you take in high school or college where you figure out two plus two is 10 or something like that. Amen to that. Amen to that. Right, boys? Well, well, also Muhammad Ali. I've seen George Foreman shadow box in the shadow one. That's a good quote. That is a great quote. That's a good trash talking quote. There, There is none better, though, in my opinion, than what we just heard. Second to that is former NHL goaltender Ilya Brizgalov, who played for the Philadelphia Flyers post game in the locker room. Take a listen. Last question, guys. What's the biggest threat that the Penguins have? 
You know, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm only afraid of bear, but bear in the forest. <laughs> I'm not afraid of anything. I'm afraid of bear in the forest. <laughs> That's a really good one. And too. from last or earlier this week, our story about bears. I too am afraid of bear mm-hmm. in the forest. But, Can um, confirm. Uh, mine, my go-to is always the Mike Tyson quote. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your ferocious. heart. I want to eat his children. That's my favorite quote. <laughs> I, I was looking at one too earlier. Joe Theismann had one when he was playing. It was basically, I'm not, uh, or, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. That's Norman Einstein. It's tremendous. It doesn't work very well. But uh, who do you think you are? I am. Make sure you tell that to uh, somebody today. Uh, the nine-year anniversary of the best quote in all of sports. Uh, pretty good ones there. I also, I mean, Allen Iverson, the practice quote is an all-timer there. They are who um, we thought we were. That's always a good one. Mike Tyson, just in general, yeah. is is pretty good. Yeah. He, you go back Michael, through some of his best of all time. Michael Jordan's, the roof is the ceiling. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a pretty damn good one. Especially in front of college students. Oof. You know what I question out of that whole bowling one that we just did? Uh-huh. I'm shocked there's a kid at a bowling event. There were a lot of them. If you go back and watch and the video. And the fact that he's trash talking. There was like an entire front row of, I don't know, had to have been something between like 12 and 13 year olds. Those guys are incredible. They just get strike after strike and you're going to trash talk him? Come on. Tanner, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer, my man? Boys, I've got a record that I have no doubts we could beat. Although I've heard Randy say that well, yeah, BK, BK may not be able anything. to. So. Yeah. But an Idaho couple, <laughs> they beat the world record. I don't even know why this is a record of putting on 31 T-shirts in one minute. 35 me, T-shirts in one minute. Putting on 35 T-shirts in one minute? Yep. 35 T-shirts in one minute. They set the record and pulled it off uh, late earlier this week, actually. 35 t-shirts in one minute. Guys, we could do that easily. No, think, are you yeah. serious? This I, is one of the most impressive things I've ever heard. I think How I could is do that, that hard? I think I could do that. We're all skinny there's, guys, there's too. Pe- like, I think that'd be easy. There's two people doing it, so I would legitimately just be low, got my arms straight in the air, and you just start putting the shirts on me. Here we go. We do 35 easy. I don't understand. How do I even put the shirt on you? Like, I understand, you I, just, I understand for yeah, one, exactly. sure. You yeah, down. you just pull it straight you down. open it, and you push it down. 35 of them, Alex. Yeah. Not at once. You get that. Well, that you might throw at once. Might be even smarter. It might luck. be illegal on the record. I would <laughs> imagine so. So you're getting less than two seconds for each shirt. Think about how quickly you are moving here. Like one, Easy. two, boom. That better be one. One, two. That better be the second. I don't I think, think we so, could do boys. it. I think we could. No I think chance. we could do it. Yeah. Again. No chance. Why do you? Why do you? Yeah. Why See, do you shoot down everything on a Friday? Shooting it down when we're it's trying a goal to set a world get. record to have All your right. name last in the history of. I appreciate it. The Guinness Book of World Records. And I, you're trying to shoot it down. I like, can't put 35 shirts on. Do you guys on. remember how quickly Randy Carricker shot down me well, holding up some three yeah, balloons, that balloons in the air? Balloons. That's hand-eye coordination. How, this is legitimately putting a shirt on. So is this. How is fast can you put a shirt on? Oh, at least five to ten seconds probably. It takes what? you ten <laughs> seconds to put a shirt on? <laughs> yeah. That seems reasonable. How fast is it for you to take and put a shirt on, Mike? A few seconds, oh, yeah. it takes me three seconds to put gonna, a shirt on. I don't even know. Three, boom, boom. So here's the problem. Like, you're... This is kind of the old like elementary school thing where they tell you, hey, somebody come up with instructions that as if I have never done this before, write some instructions on how to make a PB&J. So you write down the instructions, you know, you start out with the bread, you put the PB on uh, the peanut butter on one side, you put the jelly on the other. Yeah, but you didn't. Where am I getting this bread? What's the bread? Oh, I hate that. You know, you know what I you know what I always wrote down? I just wrote down. Don't be an idiot. 
Oh, here we go, Alex. Well, right, so Alex right they, they gave Alex a, a T-shirt. Right, you got to take off your hat. Yep. Now take off your shirt. I'm kidding. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Put it back on, All right, we're, we're finding out how quickly Alex Ferrario is able... Well, it took him about a minute to take off the hoodie. <laughs> That's not a great Someone start, a my man. Someone get a clock. All right, let me get my stopwatch here. All right, three, whoa, two, hey, yo, I'm not even one. ready. I'm... ハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハ
I just remember early on when that kid, uh, he was young. I think it was his first year, I think. And we were in extra innings, and I threw, I'm, I threw him a split. I mean, it wasn't a bad split finger. It was actually a pretty good split in Colorado, and it almost it dropped out of the zone like I wanted it. And he kept his hands back, and he flicked the ball right over short for a game-winning base hit. And at first, I was like, you know, the kid's okay. He got lucky. <laughs> uh, and then you start to see him play, and you're like, man, the guy just – He's just unbelievable, you know. He just—he's just a good hitter. He—he he really is. He's, and he's not a good, you know, Colorado hitter. He's a good all-around hitter, and he's a very, very dangerous person to want to face, especially if he has protection in the lineup, which he'll have over there in St. Louis. Jeremy, I want to go back to the defense with Nolan Arenado from a pitcher's perspective. When you not only have one of the best defensive third basemen in the game right now, but also the same with the first baseman and Paul Goldschmidt, what kind of comfort level does that give a a guy on the mound when you know that those players are behind him? Well, it's pretty good. One, it, it, as a pitcher, you can see, okay, I, I can, I'm going to give, I'm going to try to create contact because what happens is when you have a first baseman, and I saw Brandon Belt was very good at it, obviously. Todd Helton was amazing. When you have a first baseman that can defensively play like a goldsmith and play first base well, what you have is the ability to, as a pitcher, I'm just going to try to create as much contact as possible because if my infielders can get to the ball, they can take the risk to try to throw him out. Where if you have a, a first baseman that, you know, kind of like just kind of a person you put there because offensively you need him, you don't have a DH in the lineup, you know, and so you got to stick him somewhere. You don't want to put him in the outfield. Put him at, a lot of times you like put him at first base. Well, the problem is your infield doesn't want to make risky throws because they don't know if he can pick it. And if they make a risky throw, there's an error. Now it's a double instead of a base hit, right? Because the guy on second base. And, and so for me, you see an Arenado, so if I'm a Wainwright, if I'm a lot of these other guys that I'm not going to be, one, afraid to pitch in consistently because I know if this hitter tries to cheat and he turns on it, we're going to have a pretty good third baseman that's not going to let, us, let a lot of things go by. Even balls right on the line. I mean, the, the, the coverage this guy has to his right is so incredible. I mean, if you see, see a lot of the plays that he's made just jump throwing from territory – and on the nose, like it's not barely getting there. I mean, it's hitting the first baseman in the chest. It's pretty awesome. And the stuff he can do by throwing from his knees and, and if he has to lay out for a ball where a lot of third basins might eat it, he'll still make that attempt to throw it. And he can usually throw it in the air. And if he's going to put it on the ground and he has to hop it there a few times to try to get it there and speed up the ball, Goldschmidt's going to pick it. So you have so much – when you have defense on the corners like you have, like gold glove corner infielders – match that with your most athletic guys in the mid infield. It makes it pretty for me. If I'm a sinker ball or my ground ball pitcher, I'm going to want contact. And, and, and that's, that's just what you are providing. And, and Mazziliak provided that for his pitchers. He's telling his guys pitch to contact, throw as many strikes as possible because the guys I'm putting out there behind you and the guy, especially behind the plate, like everybody on that field can play their position with the best of the best. So don't 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 try to don't don't be afraid of contact. You want them to put the ball in play because I have a really good chance of getting out defensively. So that's what you created in that situation. And Mo did a great job in doing that by getting those guys. Three-time World Series champion, 14-year Major League reliever, Jeremy Offel joining us here on 101 ESPN. Jeremy, when you have a guy like that that you were just talking about, so talented as a defensive third baseman. 
for the manager, do you think that allows them to get a little bit more creative as well with we've, we've all seen the advent of the shift in recent years kind of become more and more common. Do you think that you can do some more unique things when you have a guy like Nolan Arenado who can almost t- take up that entire left side of the infield if need be? Yeah, and I, I mean, I think I, I'm an anti-shift guy, so sure. like I, I am, I'm against I'm against the shift. But what I am what I am for is creating enough infield athleticism to where you can shade for you can shade guys that can recover when you've shaded them. So if you're shading an Arenado on the line and you want a no doubles, you know, defense where you don't want him to hit a double down the line, and it goes and it goes to his left, he his ability to recover and get over there is really, really good. Or if you have him shaded to the left and the guy pulls it down the line on you, he can backhand those balls so well and make that throw. So you've created the ability where I don't have to overshift because what essentially what, what, what overshifting tells me is you don't trust your athleticism on your infield. And usually that's what you did. You, you, want, you want athletic guys that can move on your infield to recover because that way you give your pitcher a big enough advantage to say, I know if you throw the ball here, they're probably going to hit it in this area. But if you miss and they hit it eight feet to the left or right or where we have people, we have the athleticism to cover that. But when you overshift, you take away all the athleticism and you don't even allow your most athletic guys to be able to recover because they're too far out of position for someone that doesn't put the ball where they're supposed to put it, which, to be honest with you, relievers, if we were that good, we'd be starters. (laughs) So we're relievers because we could throw a strike and, like, hey, man, we'll throw the kitchen sink, but I'm not going to guarantee I'm going to be able to hit my spot. I'm just going to throw it to where there's a strike called, right? So, And we have really good movement or we have a plus pitch somewhere. So I I think that the more athletic you can create on the infield, you can stick with shading over shifting. And to me, that's pure baseball, and, and, and that is going to create just as many outs as a shift will. I mean, I, I don't buy any of the statistical advantages of a shift. You're all you're doing is saving a single. And if any of these hitters wanted to adjust for that and learn how to actually bunt, <laughs> if you want to take away my single because I'm a pull hitter and you move everybody to the right side, if I'm a lefty, I'm just going to bunt down third baseline and get a single anyway. So if hitters would learn to do that, you'd eliminate a lot of that. And, and for me, on some hitters, if you get a single, I win. I'm trying to keep you from hitting a homer, which no shift is going to defend. So I, I would rather just have guys shaded gives me a little bit more comfort to not have to make the perfect pitch to force a guy to hit it to the exact spot that you need that, that ball to be hit to. It's an awesome perspective. Jeremy, I'm curious from a player's perspective, you know, everyone in St. Louis right now is talking about the first spring training game coming on Sunday. That's always, I'm I'm sure a, a highly anticipated moment for a baseball player, but it seems like this season now more than ever, especially since last year was abbreviated. And then on top of it, they played an entire season with nobody in the stands. Yeah, I, I was excited to um, – I know there's still talk on the West Coast, especially about not having fans in the stands. I, I think it's very difficult mentally on these players to make them – they did it last year in an abbreviated season. To make them go 162 games plus the playoffs with no fans in the stands is going to be very, very difficult for some of these guys to just stay focused. And you know, I don't know how the Midwest or the East Coast is thinking. I don't know how St. Louis – I don't know if they're going to allow fans or not fans or allow some and not all. I don't know how they're doing it, uh, but I do know as a player and a fan to be able to see spring training starting on time is a very big deal, especially what happened last year. So, I I mean, the excitement is there. The players, I'm sure, are excited to do it. Uh, They don't have to make tough decisions, hopefully, like not play 
or, or, or any of those things. I know those are some tough decisions that some players had to make, and teams had to adjust to some of their best players making that decision to not play. So I'm sure everybody, managers, GMs, teams, fans, are all excited to just have their guys on the field and, and, playing, and playing 162 games and, and watching some baseball. Uh, as all the trauma and the turmoil that's happened in this country uh, over the last year, the America's pastime is America's pastime, and there is a comfort knowing that there's baseball being played. And I think that's what this country needs. They need some sort of normalcy, some sort of like, ah, this just feels right. This feels no more normal in a really abnormal situation to have baseball starting at its normal time. So I'm I'm pretty excited for that as well. A tough part about this though, as a as a pitcher, is getting those innings back. And it's something we've talked so much about, Jeremy, especially with some of the Cardinals young pitchers, their starters in particular. How do you go from 40 innings in one year to ramping right back up to 180, maybe even more in 2021. I'm curious from your perspective, you you did start some games, especially back early in your career with the Royals. What do you think that's going to be like for some of these starters who got 50, 60, maybe innings last year. Now they're expected to go back up to 180 plus. Yeah, I think it depends on who they are. I think there's a guy like, you know, like, like Wayno with Adam, it probably was good for him because he's a little older, right? So him having a, where he had to back up in innings might give him a little bit more recovery time. Some of these guys that are older, that recovery time to, to have more innings this year because they got a, they didn't put as much wear and tear on their arms. Some of the younger guys, I don't know if it'll set them back. Uh, it may a little bit, but if anything, if it, I don't know if it set them back arm strength-wise. Um, I'm sure teams were thinking about all those things as well. I think a lot of it might have got, for me, if anything, it's experience, right? It's having 60 games or whatever, 100 games less experience than they would coming into the season and, and having some learning experiences that they would have been exposed to in a full season. I don't necessarily think it will harm them. I think, if anything, it might have saved them. And I, and I don't know if some guys – I don't know how baseball played it this year with winter ball. I don't know if guys played winter ball or didn't play winter ball. Um, with this situation, but but I, I do feel that it can be, it could have been very helpful for some of these young kids that I don't know what their minor leagues were like, or these guys that were like, I played a lot of minor league ball, and then I played winter ball, trying to get to the big leagues, and I had playoffs, and so I think it could have saved them. I think with with your body, it's, you know, the athleticism is pretty impressive, and I think that if anything, you have the ability now, especially the way they run the game. The way they're running the game with these bullpens, you're going to have bullpen help. Uh, and they're not even letting some of these starters go past four or five innings regardless, which I think right. is absolutely just an atrocity to the game. But uh, I, I do feel like in some ways uh, it, it probably helped them. And it's going to keep their arm a little more fresh for this year. Uh, it was almost like a built-in DL time almost, or what do they call it now, IL, or yeah. whatever you have to call it. So like, like it's almost built in for that. Uh, so I think it, I don't think it's going to do anything, but probably help the situation physically. Jeremy, this has been awesome, man. I could talk to you for the next hour and we could talk about pitching. And yeah. I, I've got so many questions about, I mean, the Cardinals right now have like six dudes that are throwing 98, 99, hundred plus miles per hour. You could, you had some pretty darn good velocity back in the day. And now it seems like every team has like seven of those guys. I would love to get into that with you in the future. Crazy. We'll talk with you Crazy. again. All the best to you and my, and your family. And, uh, 
We'll talk with you soon, my man, as we get some real baseball to hopefully be able to talk about again. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Absolutely. It. That's Jimmy Offell joining us here on 101 ESPN. thought that was a really interesting perspective. We've now heard that from a few different guys who have said it, it might be a blessing in disguise for some of these pitchers to have had a little bit of time to you know rest and relax, get, get that arm back mm-hmm. to being if not 100% closer to that, because in a normal year, I mean, a lot of these guys are throwing at like 50, 60% as right. you get further into the dog days. I loved the shift perspective, too, on that. Him talking about how, one, it's a joke, and we've heard a lot of people say that, but he's so right, too, in terms of the athleticism of your infielders. You're overcompensating. And for the Cardinals, I don't even think you need to shift anymore when you got a guy who can play the lines like Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and then up the middle with Paul DeYoung and Tommy Edmond. And to his point, there's been some statistical data. The nerds have looked into this, and... <laughs> It's not even proven that it's actually the the positive thing to do in mm-hmm. terms of what saves you more runs. There's some real questions as to whether or not the shift is actually costing team teams runs right now. So that's something to look into as well. It's 118. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The St. Louis Cardinals, the 16th best team in baseball. What, what wackadoo whack job had to say that we'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Jack Flaherty is going to be a Cy Young candidate for the next several years. The starting pitching rotation is, is, is deep. The bullpen is strong. you got a great manager that knows how to, how to put the pieces in the right places. I mean, I think the Cardinals are set up. Uh, when you get to October, look, we've seen how many wildcard teams win World Series, right? I mean, you, you, you get to the show, you got a chance. But I do think Arenado changes the storyline because you've added another hitter that hits the best elite pitching. So, yeah, I think the Cardinals are in the conversation with the best, and um, I think they're in really the best position they've been in in a few years. That was Jim Bowden with us a few weeks ago talking about how he thinks the Cardinals are in the conversation with the best of the best. ESPN.com, though, not so much. Keep saying nice things, Jim. They put together their list, ESPN did, of the top teams in baseball. They ranked them 1 through 30. Any guesses as to where the Cardinals were, boys? Oh, they got you mm, sixth. I'd say... I'd say seventh. 16th. Get the bleep out of here. Let's go through a quick run of the teams that were ahead of them. Dodgers, Yankees, Braves, Astros, Twins. Okay, these are all making sense. Mets, Padres, A's, White Sox, Cubs, Rays, Angels, Blue Jays, Nats, Indians. Those are the teams that ESPN.com has ahead of the Cardinals. I don't know what into the, what went into these projections. I don't understand how they put these together and came out with this as their formula. I'm sorry, if, the A's? Yeah, the A's were eighth overall in the in what? these rankings. If your formula spits out that the Dodgers, Yankees, Braves, Astros, Twins, and Mets are all better than the Padres, throw it away. Throw it away. I don't need to hear anything more. The Padres are not the seventh best team in baseball going into the season. That's outlandish. No. The Cardinals, to suggest that they are the 16th best team in baseball going into the season, is crazy to me. I, this, this feels so out there that I don't even know how to properly respond to it other than I don't know what would have to happen for the Cardinals to be this low. Like, outs. I think your entire outfield would have to fail. 
I think Tommy Edmond would have to be what he was last year and not what he was two years ago. I think you would have, would have to, to be like a three starter in your rotation. You'd have to have some injuries in the bullpen and Yadier Molina will have to fall off a cliff. Like if all Whoa. of those things happen, if all of that were to take place, that's how you get to the 16th best team in baseball. Otherwise, if they get any sort of positives in any of those directions, I, this seems crazy to me. Am I am I off base here? No, you're not. It's trash in my opinion because I, I cannot believe that this Cardinals team in terms of all of Major League Baseball is less than 10th best in, in, in all of these teams. I wrote down the list of the teams that are obviously better than the Cardinals. Sure. Dodgers, Padres, Yankees. Those are the three teams, in my opinion, that are blatantly better than the Cardinals. Other than those yeah. three, I, I, with Nolan Arenado and full health and people with the expectations we expect, the Cardinals are on even par with every one of those other teams. So I think the next tier in baseball is pretty long. Like I, I'm a, I'm in agreement with you. I think that's the top three Dodgers, yeah. Yankees, and Padres. Mm-hmm. Those are the top three teams to me going into the season. The second tier in baseball going into this year is the Braves, Astros, twins, Mets, White Sox, Rays, Cardinals. So you I think put all the of those teams you, you could have in that second tier. The, the Astros are still unbelievably talented. Yeah. I mean, I know they weren't what we thought they were going to be last year, but even in the playoffs, they, they started to click again and you could see, wow, when this lineup is going, it it's really potentially special. That's the group that I would have there. But if we're focusing specifically on the National League, and we've done this so much, it's really the Dodgers and the Padres to me. If you want to include the Braves on a tier by themselves in that second tier, I could listen to that argument. But right there below them, I can't listen to anything as definitively being better than the Cardinals for that fourth spot in the National League. You could make an argument one way or the other, but I'll have a rebuttal that I think is every bit as strong as your argument in favor of whoever that other team is. I'm with you guys. I think they are a top 10 team and then a top four team in the National League, but I don't think it's so outlandish to say this team could fall to a middle-of-the-pack team. What's the case? What's the Well, I don't find it that hard to believe that the outfield won't produce I don't find it that hard to believe that Tommy Edmonds not what he was two years ago and is what he was last year. I don't find it hard to believe that Paul DeYoung doesn't have a meets expectation season. I would find it hard to believe if Flaherty didn't get to be an ace, but I wouldn't find it hard to believe that the other four guys aren't solid, that you have question marks in your rotation, and then the bullpen I'm not concerned about. But with all that combined, no production in the outfield, Tommy Edmonds not the same, DeYoung not meeting expectations, and your two through five starters aren't great. To but me, that would equal mediocre team. I don't care if Arnado or Goldie in your lineup or not. But there's no way that you get zero production from that outfield. But even with the sense of what you just went through, T-Bone, look at the other teams that are on par with them. There are still question marks with a lot of these teams in the National League, like the Mets. The Mets may have an awesome rotation, but their bullpen has been basically terrible these last couple of years. They have Francisco Lindor now, but you're also hoping... I think their lineup's going to be really good. I don't have any questions about the Mets lineup. But see, I do. I don't know if Pete is going to be the dude who crushed, what, 40 bombs in a season, or if he's going to be the guy that kind of regressed this past season. The same can be said about a Dominic Smith and a Pete Alon- or a, uh, a um, uh, completely blanking on the center fielder's name. The upcoming free agent. Conforto? Conforto, thank you. Yes. You've got Nemo. I mean, they, they're pretty deep when then, it comes but, to what they have in their lineup. But then you go to the Nationals, who everyone's talking about. Okay, yeah, I get it, but is Max Scherzer going to be the Max Scherzer? Is Steven Strasburg going to be that same? There's questions on all of these teams. So if sure. we're going to put question marks on the Cardinals, 
I can put question marks on all of these other National League teams. The other thing that I think is really important to keep in mind, we talk so much about the defense, and it's not sexy to talk about that at all. The Cardinals' floor is so unbelievably high because they are so good defensively going into this season. If you are really good defensively and have really strong pitching, your floor is like 83 wins. Like As long as you can continue doing those two things and there aren't an influx of injuries, that's going to make sure that you're a quality team. And now the question is, what's the ceiling for that? And that's where the lineup questions come in. That's why we talk so much about them needing that big bat and Nolan Arenado hopefully providing that bat that we've been talking so much about. And that's why I just have a really hard time. Like If you're looking at these teams, the Indians being 15th above the Cardinals, there's no way they have a higher ceiling or a floor to me than the Cardinals. Same thing for the Nationals. I don't think there's any way that the Nationals' floor is higher than the Cardinals going into the year. In fact, if you're rating teams by their floor, Cardinals might be top five this season in all of baseball. I just It's really hard for me to imagine a scenario, barring injury, where this team ends up below five. And the part that gets me with this list is the Angels above the Cardinals. Yeah, that right there, that tells me that this is a flawed list. There's no way that this Angels team is better than the Cardinals now that they have Nolan Arenado. I have a tough time with the Angels, Cubs. Um, I have a tough time with the Rays. Indians. Rays I could see going either way, but yeah. Uh, Blue Jays are a little bit tough for me as well. I, I think they're going to be pretty good, and adding George Springer certainly helps. They've got a lot of really young talent. I kind of need to see it, though. I need to see it actually come to fruition yeah. at the big I'm league level the before Jays. I'm ready to be convinced that they're for sure better than the Cardinals. The now. athletics got me and the athletics have an awesome rotation, but th- they have me a little questionable as well because they just lost their what third baseman basically last Matt season. Chapman, yeah. So he's not going, he's going to be missing an entire full season. Chris Davis is no longer with them anymore. You're relying on a lot of guys to step up, which again, if we're going to make the argument of the Cardinals with all of these question marks, I could do that exact same team for about 75% of the teams we just listed. I I don't think it's going to happen. I do think they will be a top 10 team and a top 4 team in the National League. Yeah. But I don't think it's that outlandish. And I know you mentioned, well, you could go with the question marks with the other teams. But I look at the Nationals and I go, well, question marks with Strasburg. Well, Strasburg has a longer track record. I look at Michaelis. He's had two big league seasons. One really good. One that wasn't very good. And then I look at Seymour. He's had the track record. He's had a couple sure. good years. But then the last couple, he's been... Off the walls. You don't know what you're getting. He's been so erratic that it's tough to tell. That's why I think some of the question marks with the Cardinals, it's just a lack of track record. Like Strasburg's case. I can look at Strasburg and I can go, when he's healthy, he is an ace for the Washington Nationals because of his track record. I look at the Cardinals, a lot of those guys, you go like, Bader, not a long track record. Hard to tell you. Well, if he's, well, not Bader. Sorry, that's not a good example. O'Neal, If he's not healthy... We don't know what his track record says. Even if he is healthy, he's not playing well. So that's why it's tough for me. And that's why I think the question marks with the Cardinals are bigger question marks than what it would be for some other teams with their question marks. If that makes sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. And I hear all of that. And I continue to kind of go back to the argument, though, that that's all about the ceiling. What you're talking about is about, hey, what what is the highest number of wins that you can possibly reach? And there are some fair questions to ask about this Cardinals team. Are they going to be 100 wins? I would say probably not. But I think they're firmly in that 90-win range. And if they get a few of these things, if Tyler O'Neill ends up hitting for the power, if Lane Thomas steps up and is that guy that we saw two years ago, if they get some positive regression from some of these starters, 
Now you're talking about a team that could win 95 plus games because the bullpen's dynamite and the defense is going to be damn good going into this season. And the division's not very good because your only contender might be Milwaukee, but Milwaukee, we don't know what they are. If Milwaukee stinks, 95 is very realistic. If Milwaukee's good, 89 to 90, probably. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. One's got to go coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for one got to go. You send us four options. We'll tell you which one in that category has got to go. Let's start with this one. One's got to go sandwich edition. Oh, I love it. Classic Italian, Philly cheesesteak, a BLT, or grilled cheese. Classic Italian, Philly cheese, BLT, or grilled cheese. One's got to go, Alex Ferrari. Well, this is simple. If either of you get rid of the Italian, we are going to have major issues in this Stays room. Stays for me. Philly cheesesteak of, I mean, got to be there. I'm torn between the BLT and grilled cheese. I'm going to keep the BLT and get rid of the grilled cheese. Here's why. One, I'm lactose intolerant, so that just is going <laughs> to be dangerous to my system in general. But grilled cheese is just kind of plain, you know? I got all of the flavors in the Italian and the Philly cheesesteak and the BLT. Grilled cheese with some pepper jack and maybe American. I get it, but I got pepper jack on my Philly cheesesteak. I got my Provel on my Italian. I got my American on my BLT. I'll put cheese on my BLT, boys. So I'm getting rid of the grilled cheese. I'm getting rid of the BLT. Not a big... uh, I am not going to like BK in a couple of seconds. I can tell he's already going Italian. I know. I can see it We are going to have a problem. Go ahead, T-Bone. I'm just getting rid of the BLT. Not a big uh, tomato guy. And then you just don't have the BLT. It's just a B... It's just a BL. Yeah. And those are are good because it's bacon. Yes. And there's no tomato. You can make it a B sandwich and I'm good. grilled cheese with some soup? Oh, come on. You got to keep that. I'm I'm going to get rid of BLT. T-Bone. Hey, I'm having grilled cheese and chili when I get home, so. That's disgusting. That's gross. That's, that's <laughs> just like, that, disgusting? that just like ruined Mr. Lactose Intolerant. Grilled cheese and uh, tomato soup that's, makes sense. Grilled cheese better. and. Well, I'm not dipping it in my chili, but my, it's right there to not. have. I, so I'm going to make Alex really upset. I will. I will throw something at you. I'm not an Italian sandwich guy, man. I still have to go uh, over to. I got to go over to Joya's. I got to give theirs a chance. But in general, I. I'm not a big fan of salami. I so like pepperoni on a sandwich. I'm you, you good. You have Italian in you, don't I you? I know. Yes, I am. I'm this is very like an much, Italian saying I don't like olives. I know. I also don't like oh black olives. Oh my god! What I'm is on that one? What, what uh, is wrong with you? I know. Two? I know. I know. Olives are literally at our family Christmas every year. Like I, we go over to my grandparents in a normal normal year, that would and my everybody there is Italian for the most part. So there's olives literally sitting out, like jars of olives everywhere. I, I hate both I'm of you. I'm out on all of that. I hate so yeah. both of you. I hate to be the bear bad news, but I, one got to go. Italian subs for I me. I hate you, BK. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for one's got to go. One got to go bedroom edition. Ooh. hey <laughs> A good mattress. Oh. oh. A good pillow. Dang. Good bedding. So we're talking about sheets, blankets, those sorts of things. Or... A good bedroom fan. So you've got your mattress, pillow, bedding, or your bedroom fan. Ooh. Tanner, let's start with you. One's got to go. I'm going to get rid of the bedding. I 
I like uh, a good mattress, you like a good sleeping pillow. On hay? Sure. But the mattress is good. The pillow's good. And a good ceiling fan to get a nice breeze going. I don't have that in my basement. So I have a loud freaking fan that goes, and I hate that one. So it's got to be the bedding. Who no, cares? You it doesn't have to be the bedding. sleep on the mattress you know and a good you, pillow. You know the- what happens if you don't have a good fan, T-Bone? You turn the air conditioning down in the house, and you make it cooler. Lame. You know what happens if you have uh, less than a 1,000 thread count on your sheets? You're sleeping on trash. I don't sleep That's on any. a bold statement. What's, go, what's got to go then? The yeah. fan has to go. No way. Yeah. No. The good ceiling That's fan has absurd. to go. You can buy yourself a nice rotating fan. You could turn the air conditioning down in the house and I wear more nice blankets. No, circulation is a need. No. It's yeah. a must. No. Thread count is a must. No. A good mattress I've is a must. I've never heard someone say that before. A good thread, thread count, count is a if must. If you sleep on anything less than a 900 thread count, you are sleeping on hay. <laughs> That is what you are sleeping on. You are sleeping in a barn. Look, I just graduated college last year, and I slept basically on springs. I can handle anything. Yeah, terrible. The, the ceiling fan. Unbelievable, you <laughs> so two. That's absurd. Uh, it's got to be the bedding. The sheets, the blankets. If I can go without those things. If I have a bad pillow or a bad mattress, though, game over. Uh-uh, nope, not, not exactly. happening for me. Uh, I fell asleep on... This is when I knew I was getting old. I fell asleep on an air mattress a couple of weeks ago. Ooh, those are the worst. Oh, dude, I woke up and I was like, <laughs> my back, my hips, my... You know, what my the, you know what the worst part of an air mattress is? It wakes you up every time you move. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, fell asleep, I woke up at like 6 in the morning. I was like, I don't think I slept last night. I need to go downstairs. I woke up hunched over. Like, Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, I didn't think BK could be any less manly. Can't change a tire. Not allowed to grill. Watches The Bachelor. Now you don't even like Italian subs. Good Lord. Sir, I do not watch The Bachelor. Totally unfair. It's The Bachelorette. I don't watch either of those. I watch Big Brother, though. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Last one for One's Gotta Go. One's Gotta Go Fast Food Fries Edition. Fast Food Fries Edition. McDonald's, Wendy's, Arby's, or Chick-fil-A? McDonald's, Wendy's, Arby's, you know, those curly curly season fries, or the Chick-fil-A waffle fries. Which one's got to go? I'm going to get rid of Wendy's, and I don't like it. I don't like it, but I'm not getting rid of my waffle fries from Chick-fil-A. You can't get rid of the curly fries, and McDonald's fries are legendary. So as much as I love Wendy's, I will overcompensate with the salty sea salt Wendy's fries with my McDonald's fries. I think I've changed my mind here in just the last couple of seconds. Actually, I'm getting rid of the curly fry. Talk about an overrated Damn. fry. Did wow. you, oh, you just overrated. Come on, hot. Did you just say curly fries are overrated? I didn't stutter, did I? Yeah. Overrated. Easy, Stanley. I feel like they're properly rated. Yeah. I feel As like no. they're very good. They're no. underrated. Overrated. McDonald's are the goat. They're the yeah. all-time. They're the Jordan of French fries from a fast food restaurant. I did, too. <laughs> what? We thought you said McDonald's has to go. We're like, oh, no, 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 no. That's I'm the goat. Turn off your mic. Just the greatest it. of all time. They're, they are... They're the Tom Brady unquestioned. There is there is no parallel for McDonald's fries. I love me some Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Their, their Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, man. Ooh. He's not about to. Ah, so good. Get rid of the waffle fries. Those waffle fries got to go, man. What the hell is going go. on? What? Chick-fil-A's fantastic. I love going to Chick-fil-A. I might go to Chick-fil-A after work today. I forgot my lunch. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> the one that's got to go here is their fries. Of these four options, they're clearly, in my opinion, the weakest of the four. 
Curly fries are fantastic. McDonald's have the best fries. And Wendy's upgraded in a big way. Wendy's fries, with they dunking sea- them in their... Uh, the frosting? The frosting. And they put Ooh. sea salt on them, too, which well, you we cannot go, go by wrong. The fry. You can't dip it in a shake, then. Do what? That's a different category. Well, you can dip the fry whatever you want to dip yeah. it in. No. You want hot sauce? You want ketchup? Yeah. Some you want barbecue? Dressing? We're just going no, with, we're just going with the plain fry. But, by the way, <laughs> someone... Uh, Someone texted in and said, uh, God, where was it? Oh, yeah, 636, living with you guys sounds complicated. Well, there's another one from the 919 that says, Ferrario, how do you relate to two dudes who are sleeping in somebody else's basement? Come on now. It's a good point. That's a fair point. I think that's a shot at good me, point. But. Uh, Tanner lives with the grandparents. I live with the, the future just, in-laws. I'm just saying, so, if both yeah, of you sleep it. on 500 thread count, you need to rethink your lives. <laughs> that's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. Who I'm Brandon cares? Kylie. We'll cross things over next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by I Promise. I thought Jeremy Offelt earlier today was awesome. Your former Giants reliever was on with us, and he was great. Who? Jeremy Offelt. Three-time oh, World Affelt. Series yeah, champ. Yeah, Jeremy Offelt. Yep. He's oh, great. So he's called great. him his right name all day uh, today, too? Uh, apparently. Ooh, that's all right. Oh, yeah, for Jeremy Offelt. Uh, former Royal, who I grew yeah. up watching and apparently always pronounced his name incorrectly. <laughs> he, Wonderful. He was, I think he was 2010, 2012, and 2014. Yep. I think they acquired him in 2010. Yeah. He was great, man. Lefty? Lefty out of the pin. I remember those games against the Giants where that dude comes in and yeah. you know it's locked in. They Dude's, had some good relievers. Romo? Romo's still pitching. Bullpens, defense, they tend to be really important come playoff time. Big time. Brian Wilson. On the plus side for the Cardinals, they have both of those things. They are very good in the bullpen. Very good at defense. That they are. Stoltz, was coming up today, today on the fast lane, my man? Well, we'll talk. We're, we, we've been doing like the three questions. I like that. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I, we, I've, we have also enjoyed you guys doing <laughs> you. your top 20 Cardinals heading into the, the new season. So we'll do what we got a veteran player today. We've been going kind of younger. We, we're going we're going with a, a veteran player today. So we'll do that. A lot of blues coverage. How about Tarasenko? Yeah. Is this real? Is it actually going to happen? I mean, is this Alex, like office, Michael Look, Scott, the fact, it's all happening? The level? fact that he's been skating as consistently as he's been skating. The part is that he's taking bodies in practice. Like he is going board play. The fact that he's doing board play means that shoulder's ready to go. I would imagine you're going to see him probably sooner rather than later. Okay. I like well, it. We'll talk about that in the first segment. We'll get, we'll get some thoughts from Jamie. And we got to dive back into Russell Wilson here, which is insane. Is, I don't think... It, I have come to my opinion on this. Yesterday, we we heard about the news, and I kind of waffled back and forth. I don't think he's going to be traded this year. I think this is setting up a standoff between the two next year. I think what we're seeing is the, uh, the, the start of what is going to result in the breakup between these two. I think they give it one more go. I think the Seahawks will say, Russ, we'll get you some more offensive linemen. That's clearly his biggest critique. And if they don't win this year, and I don't think they're going to be winning a Super Bowl, we'll see they don't win this year that's when i think you see the breakup i could see it but when you're when you have such a great relationship with Pete carroll 
I, I wonder how why Do it got. I, th- I mean, I always thought they did. Is this a situation? I heard you use the analogy yesterday with you got a kid and you've been telling him, you know, one thing, and then all of a sudden you say, you know, we're not doing it anymore. The kid throws the tantrum. Is this a power play by Russell Wilson to say, I want more control, I want more say, I want what Tom Brady has, and the Seahawks give it to him? Or is it Pete Carroll? He's like, no, I've got a philosophy here. You you play quarterback. I'm the head coach. We'll put the roster together. We do all that stuff. That's that. That's what we're paid for. You do what you're paid for. And then the the fracture furthers. And then you have a situation like you said where it can't be repaired a year. From One now. thing we talked about last year when we were doing the show this time last year, and we we're talking about Tom Brady and whether or not he would leave. Uh, we talked a lot about how th- the amazing part is not that he might leave. The amazing part is that it took 20 years to get to this point. That That is the the thing that was not the norm. I think we're seeing now for a lot of these other guys, like, yes, what Tom Brady had up there in New England, that just doesn't happen between a coach and a quarterback over the long term normally. I think Russ was viewed one way whenever he came into the league. He was a third-round pick. They won with the running game and the defense. And he has elevated in his mind and in, I think, a lot of spectators' minds to be now an elite quarterback in the league. And I think the Seahawks, at least from his perspective, still view him as a guy that's more of a caretaker, a third-round, former third-round pick that 20, 25 pass attempts a game will run with uh, or will win with the running game and defense. And I think he wants to get out of that box, and they're still trying to keep him in there. And I think there's a little bit, if you want to call it a power struggle, I think that's where it exists between him and Russell Wilson. He wants to go down as one of the best ever. And playing the way that they do, I don't think it's going to allow for that for him. Yeah, you can't win MVPs when you turn turn around, hand the ball off twenty five plus times a game. Yep. Exactly. So and I'm going to be interested to see where this goes. Fast lanes coming up from two to six. We will be back on Monday at eleven o'clock. Until then, fast lane on one hundred and one ESPN. I sat on a toilet, and nope. a black bear ate my anus. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Science proves quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. It's our ultimate Sleep Number event. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed plus special financing, only for a limited time. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details.